Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. Joined by my guy, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him on Twitter at CJ Saftik. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 53, headlined by a bantamweight fight between Rob Font and Marlon Chito Vera. Kind of a meh card, wouldn't you say, Cody? It's been a little bit of a rough offering for the UFC over the last two cards. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. They got so many guys on the roster. They owe so many people fights. They got guys that have been off for a couple years due to injuries that are coming back. Like, there's just so many moving parts for the UFC that they'll just throw out whatever. And I saw this cool little article the other day, and it was like, do MMA fans care? And guys like us don't really care because there's something notable on every single card. There's somebody worth watching on every single card. But we also can't lie to the audience and say, this is so exciting and there's great value and you're going to win every week. I look at this card, I think more underdogs will hit than favorites. And that's not typically my style. I want to find the most trustworthy favorites and put them together. Parlays do not look good this week. Props, on the other hand, look extremely juicy. So it's cool to talk about from that standpoint. But again, yeah, there's, there's nothing better on this card than is on the PFL card or is on next week's Bellator, last week's Bellator, next week's UFC. Like there's just, it's becoming a revolving door between the promotions and then pay-per-views. Outside of pay-per-views, it's all the same thing, right? They're just fights. When you have like hundreds of guys under contract and you have to fill out cards every single week, you got to expect a few stinkers name value wise on a week to week basis. So unfortunately, we're on a back to back week uh, weekends here where we're getting stinkers. But uh, we discussed it quickly before we hopped on live here. And I've already had people badgering me about your PFL PRP. And you said you haven't really constructed at this moment in time. But I believe the fights are kicking off in just about a half an hour or so. So for the early viewers here, uh, I was hoping that you'd be able to put together a quick PRP for people that want to plug their plays <clears> in <throat> before the fights actually, actually kick off. So the stage is yours, my friend. Yeah, hell yeah. So it's Chalk City, right? And again, how excited can you get for a lot of these fights? But enough. I think there's enough value that you can tie together. Your biggest favorites that you're looking at, obviously Dennis Goldstoff's taking on late nose replacement. He's a giant favorite. Brendan Lucane's a giant favorite. Bruno Capaloza, who obviously love Bruno Capaloza. How could you not? He's a giant favorite. Where are you going to find the real value, right? So the two guys that I'm looking to add the real value, well, even Ante, right? He's 600. So if you've got the big favorites in him, you're looking at minus 239. Not great, right? You add Henry Ferreira, you're at minus 161. Not great. Now you're adding the big favorites. So where are we going to find the value? The three value spots, I think, is Adam Koresh at minus 240. He's undefeated 5-0. Looks like a pretty good finisher. You saw him on their like little PFL Challenger series and seems a good striker, good finisher. Uh, trains at a you know, pretty decent... Uh, like good surroundings and he's taking on that Klitsin Abreu who my god is just a fraud like in Russia this guy was legit dude Dude was yeah. legit he's a competed like 185 pounds he came to the UFC I thought he'd be able to do something and he always would just show up awful and out of shape at 205 then he moves up to heavyweight where you know at least he's a high level BJJ black belt and like no like Jamel Jones beats him I'm just just an abysmal run an abysmal run doesn't look like he's motivated I understand there's a million dollars on the line, but I don't know. I just can't get behind him. And a minus 240, that re represents a much better price tag than a lot of these giant favorites on the card. So, and in addition to a guy like Adam Koresh with a lot of those big favorites, would get you to plus 130, right? Bubba Jenkins, minus 285. Bubba Jenkins, by decision, minus 175. Listen, Jenkins is very one-dimensional with his wrestling approach. He's just going to look to take Bokniak down and hold him. But Bokniak's A, 
Well, he fought like three weeks ago. He's coming in on this fight on short notice. And yeah, he's got a scrappy go-forward style. He's been getting away with it much of his career. But when he takes up steps up in competition, guys that are more athletic and kind of move out of the way of that bulldoze technique, does not not really all that effective. <clears throat> he wants to draw out a big brawl in a firefight, but he doesn't got one-punch KO power. So Bubba Jenkins will just take him down for the first two rounds. And then even if Bubba does tire, certainly a possibility, I don't think Bogdanek knocks him out in the third. Jenkins should be able to cruise two of these three rounds, win a decision. And minus 175, not terrible, but even just this minus 285 on the ticket, again, it represents a much uh, more flavorful favorite than a lot of these 10 to ones and 12 to ones. Finally, right, one underdog is going to hit. I absolutely agree with you. I think Chris Wade beats Lance Palmer. Lance Palmer's not the same guy. I mean, again, he's another guy that used to just rely solely on getting away with his wrestling. He's a former All-American D1 guy out of Ohio State. Great wrestling program. One of the coaches over at Team Alpha Male. But then he leaves Team Alpha Male, ends up in Las Vegas, took a serious run, won a bunch of money in PFL. But you can see that approach is just not, not working anymore. When he runs into fellow wrestlers, like when he fought Bubba Jenkins, let's say, if he can't take you down and just hold you down, his game falls apart rather quickly. And one thing with Chris Wade, because again, here's another UFC fan out. And the guy that's been in like, I don't know, 117 PFL and World Series of Fighting Tournaments. Like he seems to be like their go-to guy every year. He just keeps getting better, man. Comes out of Long Island, New York, spends a lot of time with some of the best guys in the world. And uh, wrestling's good. Striking's better than Lance Palmer's. And I think that even if he get, does get taken down in the first round, he's got good cardio. He makes good adjustments, makes good choices. As a plus 110 underdog, I think he's the one underdog that does come through. A lot of people are talking online about Shaman Rye's shit in the apple pie because, hey, Shaman Rye's loves to shit in an apple pie. And, like, he could theoretically get clipped by Boston Salmon. But the same theory goes the other way. Like, Boston Salmon's primarily a striker. I don't think he's got a great chin on him. He's done a good job of putting together a couple wins since being released from the UFC. Look good as last time out, but I think Shaman, if Shaman just doesn't get clipped, he's got the, the vastly superior striking skill set, but he's prone to getting clipped. So I, I, I would just stay away from that one. This Saba Balagi versus Alejandro Flores fight, staying away from that one. That's the only fight Bonafide don't want no part in. And again, I think Ante probably runs inside the distance. Brendan Lucane, minus 1200. What can you get out of that? So what I'm saying is you can construe the, how I did it was I used a lot of big favorites and then I used my value guys, Adam Koresh, uh, Bubba Jenkins, especially if you want to go Jenkins by decision. And sorry. Uh, yeah, my one underdog uh, in Chris Wade, which would improve it a little bit. So yeah, that's 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 where I went. I'm, if the card didn't start at 530, I would have tweeted some stuff out, but we got to do the show and Again, just a zillion other things going on in the world. So PFL, <laughs> exactly. PFL and their 10 to 1 favorites, unfortunately, weren't priority number one. Exactly. And it's, again, it's a little weird that they're doing it on Thursdays. But given that there's no other promotions running on Thursdays, I kind of get their angle as well. But no, for no, these types no, of cases, no, no, I'll tell you why you don't get their angle, right? You don't get their angle because I don't think they have an angle. I think it was just like purely coincidental. These guys were in shows on Wednesdays. They run shows on Fridays. Yeah. They show runs on shows on Saturdays. And here's their biggest flaw. They don't promote it that what day they're yeah. doing it. Like, this these shows just fly under the radar in the sense that you're like, oh shit, they're doing Tuesday nights just like Dana. Okay, cool, because Contender Series is not going. Why is they'll take the time slot? And it's like, oh, well, they're doing it on a Wednesday. Okay, fair. Then it's like, yo, dog, they fucking did it on a tape delay and didn't even tell anybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now they moved to some Thursday time slot. Like last week was on a Friday, this week's on a Thursday. Oh fuck. Uh yeah, yeah, that's that that's how PFL goes. I don't know. 
I don't know how they put these shows together, but I will admit it's a lot of violence. It's a lot of big mismatches. It should be a super entertaining fight card. And I don't have anything going else on a Thursday night, so I would love to watch it. Uh, apparently, the NFL draft is on tonight. So if you're a big NFL guy, you're probably pissed off that the PFL is running their show tonight. Oh, <laughs> hey, not so to I mention... No, not when mention, I logged no, into I, my site earlier, like that was the big promo. It wasn't like they were like bet PFL. It wasn't like, like <laughs> bet some big hockey game. They were like bet the NFL draft. I was like, wow, that's a level of degeneracy. I only hope to you someday attain the NFL <laughs> that's what, draft. That's why I'm repping the Raptors gear today because they're playing a, a must win game in about mm. two hours or so. The fact that they haven't seven o'clock. Yeah, we got to get yeah. going on the show eventually. <laughs> the the, the, fa the fact that they haven't uh, gotten swept yet and have actually battled back and won two games is beyond me. So I'll continue to rep the Raptors gear until they finally get uh, uh, eliminated from the playoffs. So hopefully they can keep their dreams alive tonight by beating the 76ers. But we are here to talk about MMA, most specifically UFC Vegas 53. Uh, again, anybody asking for the PFL PRP? Just rewind, and my guy Cody has got you guys covered from the beginning of the show. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into this 12-fight card that we got. First and foremost, we got the UFC debut of highly touted Tetsuro, Tetsuro Terra uh, going up against Carlos Candelario. Um, in terms of odds, we got some chalk on the Japanese fighter here. He's coming in at minus 230, plus 195, the return on Candelario. And I actually just finished taping this fight a couple hours ago, and I was kind of surprised that the... The, the wide line here, like Terrell, great. It looks amazing having a 10-0 record. But we know that more often now when these guys come over to the UFC and start taking steps up in competition, that that 10-0 record doesn't really mean much. There's one guy that comes to mind for me most recently, Zviad Lazishvili, who I don't even think is in the UFC anymore, but came in against Jonathan Martinez as a slight favorite because he had a 13-0 record and he was Georgian. And he goes out there and gets worked by Jonathan Martinez over 15 minutes. Whereas the Tetsuro side... It seems like his bread and butter is his jiu-jitsu, has a decent back take in some of his uh, transitions. When he has a big size advantage over his opponents, he uses his range pretty well, uses his kicks from, kicks from the outside, and even likes to utilize a calf kick at times. Whereas Candelario on the other side seems a little bit more battle-tested. I know he's had a couple rematches in his career, but he does go out there and show a solid submission defense game, as well as good top control, good ground and pound, does a lot of damage from on top, and his striking game is decent enough in terms of remaining aggressive, putting his foot on the gas, and usually pressuring his opponents. Very close fight against Victor Altamoreno uh, in his Dana White Contender Series fight, which was his last fight. And not often do you see a guy get signed to the UFC off of a loss, but that was the case here for uh, Candelario, who has... Seems like he has a decent skill set. He did take about three to four years off in between his last couple fights. Uh, I believe it was due to falling out fights and injuries and all that. But he did manage to come back, pick up a win after his first uh, win on the Contender Series a couple years ago. I know he's coming off a loss in his last fight, but I just don't think he should be this big of, a, uh, uh, of an underdog. I think he's going to come forward. I think he's going to pressure Tetsuro more than he's been pressured in the past. And if Tetsuro does get this onto the into the ground and get the back, we've seen Candelario you know, fight out of bad positions in the past, show great submission defense, and then end up on top and start raining big shots from his onto his opponent. I'm expecting the same thing here, which is why I like the dog to kick off this card here. Uh, Tetsuro, again, hasn't really been pushed the most, in my opinion. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll take Candelario by decision at plus 400 as one of my favorite props here. But even the over two and a half at minus 115, I can see this being a back and forth fight where neither guy gets the finish. But... 
with Tara only being about 21, 22 years old. I'm interested to see how he deals with damage from Candelario, especially if Candelario gets that top position and starts running down his ground and pound. So uh, TKO for Candelario is plus 750, maybe worth a little bit of a, bit of a sprinkle, but I will lean with the decision prop here as my ultimate uh, prop for this fight at plus 400 and also the uh, over two and a half at minus 115. What about yourself, Cody? Yeah, it's scary when you get talking about these <clears throat> 21, 22 year old prospects because you just don't know which way it's going to go. They're so green. On one hand, I tried to fade Mikhaev, and the dude comes out and soars through the air like a majestic Russian eagle with a flying knee and kills Cody Durden. And it's like, oh man, the kid was the real deal. On the other hand, I back Ray Cooper's little brother. He goes out there as a minus 1200 favorite and beats the crap out of this dude in Hawaii in his Bellator <sighs> debut. And oh, second Bellator fight. And then, oh my God, makes one mistake and gets caught in Dar's choke. It could go either way, right? Because they're young and they're going to make mistakes. And to be honest, I thought the same thing you thought when the line got dropped. It's like, it's a little bit wide, is it not? Uh, Tatsuya Tyra seems extremely talented. I mean, like you said, undefeated as an amateur, undefeated as a pro. 10 and 0 as a pro, I believe seven first round finishes. He just buzzsaw through guys, but is technically not really all that well rounded. His wrestling doesn't look great. Striking doesn't look all that good. His grappling is phenomenal. If he does grab a hold of you, he generally takes the back. Once he takes the back, he'll put in sink in the hooks, throw in a body triangle, and fish for the rear naked choke. Loves to just take guys out and out grapple them. But as you mentioned with Candelario, I mean, he's kind of been in some bad spots before. The first time we saw him in a contender series against Ronaldo Candido, he got taken down eight times. You know, Candido was fishing for uh, five submission attempts. Candido's a high level BJJ black belt. Candelario survives the whole time, makes him work. You mentioned uh, he took some time off, like, fight bookings and injuries. I was in the impression he, like, retired after the contender Series fight because they didn't give him a contract. And he was just like, screw this. Like, if you're not getting paid to do MMA, tough go. The UFC doesn't want me. No point in doing it anymore. So he kind of sat on the sidelines and then got the fire. and was like, okay, I'm coming back. That fight with Altamirano, I thought he won it. It's a close fight. Yeah. It's a split decision. He looks awesome the first round. The second round, he's starting to slow down a little bit, but the skill's all there. He's a good striker. He's a good wrestler. He's a good grappler. I would consider him a generalist. I don't think he's excellent in any one area, but he's extremely well-rounded. He's a 30-year-old man. They don't give him the split decision. He's basically like shucks, and I think the USC feels for him. Here's a guy that retired the last time because he didn't get a contract, and now he just put on a good fight. Is he going to retire again? Like You feel for him. And they bring him in as uh you know onto the roster anyway. So as you mentioned, it's weird seeing a guy get signed, not get the not get the win, but still get signed. And in this case, it's like I think he should be in the UFC. And in another world, two of the judges, not just one, score the fight for for Candelario, which I thought he deserved to win. <clears throat> he's undefeated as an amateur. He's undefeated as a pro. He's got a good looking record too, right? What has Tyro did that this kid hasn't done already himself? So I think it's a lot closer than the line suggests. Uh, Plus 400, Candelario by decision makes a lot of sense. I, I'm kind of attacking, if you want to be safe, the over one and a half is minus 220. The fight completes two rounds, minus 150. I think that Candelario, extremely durable, right? Even if he does get taken down and gives up his back and gets controlled and ends up losing this fight, I don't think he's getting submitted quickly. I think he'll be losing a decision. If he ends up springing the victory... You got a plus 400 ticket, and I think it goes that way as well. I don't think he necessarily finishes this kid, although... I've not seen Tyra in any bad spots and any, you know, compromising situations, you know, starting to get tired, UFC debut, this and that. Like he could be vulnerable later in the fight, but more often than not, I think the fight is going to decision on either side. So over one and a half, um, the fight starts or completes two rounds. You can even take the over two and a half. You can even take fight goes the distance. I think that those are all decent enough props. But in terms of, as I mentioned, I think a lot of underdogs are going to come through on this card. Yeah. Starting off with a banger. I think, uh, I think we got a live underdog right from fight number one. 
I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next one here. We got a women's flyweight scrap between Gina Mazzani and Shanna Young finally fighting at her natural weight class compared to her last two uh, outings where she was uh, up at 135 pounds. And clearly the grappling edges from Macy Kiasson and Stephanie Edgar were too much for her. Now she's going up against another grappler in Gina Mazzani, who's coming in as an obvious favorite uh, in terms of odds. We got minus 180 on Mazzani and plus 155 the return on Shanna Young. But goddamn, I'm sure some people who actually paid the chalk on Mazzani against Priscilla Cachoeira are having flashbacks for like, oh my God, like she she might get touched up on the feet again if she starts to huff and puff as she did in that fight. That's why I just can't trust her in this spot. She should win. She should have the grappling advantage to be able to get Shana Young to the ground. But should this fight take place in the kickboxing realm, that's where I think that Shana Young will have the advantage. I'm just not 100% sure she'll be able to keep it standing for that long. But if she is able to make Mazzani work, she will have a definitely a, a big chance of winning this fight probably in the third round. As we've seen Mazzani have cardio issues over and over again. Like the Rachel Ostovich fight, sure, she goes out there and gets the win. But like if you go back and watch her Lena Landsberg fight, <laughs> there's the, the infamous clip of her in between rounds almost puking in a bucket because she's so tired before that third round. Um, and, and you can obviously see the exhaustion come into play in the Priscilla Cachoeira fight, like I said. But uh, Mazzani decision is kind of what I'm looking at here, plus 165 with slight hedge on uh, Shanna Young round three at plus 1800. I think those are the best ways of playing this fight you know i I'd, i wouldn't be surprised if Mazzani actually gets a submission earlier in this fight but i just don't think she's that great of a submission grappler and i do think that shana young will be prepared for that type of approach here so uh i'll go on Mazzani, Mazzani by decision like i said but you know me, uh, you know me, Cody. I'm a, I'm a sucker for those round three bets. And as as soon as you give me somebody with a bad gas tank, I'm I'm blind betting the round three on the other side, no matter what. So Shana Young round three plus eighteen hundred, sign me up. But Mazzani should get this fight via decision plus one sixty five, plus one eighty five. Like I said, that'll be my spot. What about you here? Yeah, yeah. Throughout round three bet looks good because the Pr Priscilla Cachoeira fight should not have been a second round TKO loss, right? The referee screwed uh, her big time, Gina Mazzani, by standing that fight up after she had gotten the takedown. <clears throat> but she was going to topple over from exhaustion in the third. Like, yeah, maybe she does have cardio issues. I'm going to try to go one more time with old Gina Mazzani and hope that she's rectified those issues. Because, yeah, if she has, I think she just got easy money takedowns. And then whatever she does with the takedown up to her. I not feeling the submission. I would rather go with the Gina Mazzani by TKO. Just I think if she gets the the if she gets top control, she should be able to rain down some decent ground and pound. And we've seen already a couple times with Shayna Young, like when she's on her back, like she's open to just getting hammered on, and then eventually she starts to fatigue or she starts to take damage. It accumulates. The stoppage is going to be there for her. So yeah, I think Mazzani. If I was going to try to play the inside the distance, I think I'm leaning towards the TKO. But because she tends to tire out, because she's coming off a performance. Was she absolutely gassed out? I don't think she's going to go in with a very aggressive game plan of score takedowns at will and then rain down ground and pound. I think she's just going to try to hold position, slow the uh, the pace down, and try to conserve as much energy as she can, get in the win column because she's in desperate need of a win here, and then advance her career beyond that. She's over with uh, Glory MMA and Fitness, James Krause, obviously Tim Elliott, her boyfriend. I think they're I don't think they're engaged or anything. But, um, he, he's coming off a career best performance, really. I mean, he was, shows up in shape. He's good to go. They put in time. They put in good game plans, and they fight, you know, good fights. She comes up in shape. She's got two teammates that are also on this card. You should be motivated. If you check anything from her social media, she looks in awesome shape, and really, the takedowns are going to be there. She just needs to hold them for two rounds and not get finished in the third. So I, too, am going to go with the Gina Mazzani by decision, but I'd be lying if I said I'm super comfortable with it because, 
yeah, at any point she tires out. It doesn't matter that it's Shayna Young. It's anybody, right? And I get that Shayna Young's finally fighting in her natural weight class. <clears throat> she just hasn't shown enough. You know, she's very she's very green still. I I'll tell you something about Shayna Young, right? This is unbelievable to me. But I I'm not a fighter, so I can't really tell you what goes on in their head. But so she's fighting Stephanie Egger in her last fight. And and of course, you got you would have to tape study your fucking opponent, right? So we'll be like, okay, she's a high-level judo black belt, uh, loves the clinch, loves the clinch. And once she establishes the clinch, she's going to toss you on your head. And yet, Young is the one that's initiating the clinch. She's just walking right into it. What could you possibly be thinking? And she pays. She makes bad decisions in there. And Gina Mazzani is just going to look for a few takedowns. And yeah, and I think she should be able to come up with a decision. So women's MMA, I've been getting burned on them. Gina Mazzani, who hasn't, who can say that they've never been burned on Gina Mazzani before? Uh, I could see it going wrong for us, but I think plus money on her by decision. That's where I'm going as well. I don't know what it is with women and tying up with Stephanie Egger. Jessica Rose Clark obviously just paid for it the last time around as well. So we'll see if Egger can keep that. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Egger can keep that streak rolling wrong because I do believe she has another matchup coming right up. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, men's lightweight fight between Mike Breeden and Natan Levy. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 on Natan Levy and plus 150, plus 160-ish the return on Mike Breeden. No heavy thoughts on this fight in particular. I do lean on the Natan Levy side. Uh, he comes obviously from a karate base, but likes to use his grappling when he gets a chance, likes to take his opponents to the ground and really just, you know, control his way on the ground looking for openings for submissions or tko opportunities but i believe yeah the majority of his wins have come via decision at this point in time uh actually it's half and half three and three uh he's got three decision wins and three uh or, or sorry three submission victories as well mike breeden decent grappler i believe he should be able to hold his own on the mat here should it hit the mat which i believe it will uh on the feet i do think that breeden could be the slightly better striker but i do think the karate style of natan levy will cause him trouble in terms of closing the gap and closing the distance to let his strikes go uh breeden obviously another glory mma product there he's going to be entering uh with uh gina mazani here uh hopefully to peak at the same time I just don't see it happening. Uh, I'm not that big on Levy myself either, right? I did go with the Hafa Garcia last time around. That was a pick em fight. Glad to get Hafa Garcia there. But I still do think that Natan Levy, syndicate MMA trained, does have some ways still to go. But I uh, I think it's still going to be enough for him to beat a guy, Mike Breeden, who, again, benefit of the uh, the COVID era type of thing here where he comes in on short notice against Alexander Hernandez and gets starched within two minutes of that fight. I just don't think that Breeden's going to cut it in the UFC. He might be able to pick up a win or two on the contender series if he ever finds himself over there, but I just don't think he's going to be able to cut it in the UFC. Levy, you know, if he can't get past Levy, I just don't see him winning at all in the UFC, and I just don't see him winning here against Levy. So I'll go Levy, Levy by decision which is currently plus 175. Uh, you can tinker with the Levy by submission at plus 260, but I do think that Breeden will show well enough uh, sub submission defense off of his back to stay out of trouble. So give me Levy, Levy by decision. What about yourself? Yeah, so we have seen him on contender series, and he couldn't get the win there either. <laughs> Anthony Romero, yeah, yeah, our guy from Ontario. The biggest takeaway the from that fight is that, yeah, yeah the genius. The biggest takeaway there is, is Breeden is tough. He will come forward. He'll engage. But his lead leg was just right on display. I mean, R Romero picked it apart. I think he landed some 17 or 18 leg kicks. And I think with Natan Levy, uh, yeah, he likes to play this karate game. He definitely will be aiming for that leg. But his boxing is trash, man. I mean, that last fight with Rafa Garcia. Garcia, every time he stepped in the pocket, clubbed this guy clean in the face. Like, he had no ability to defend himself. He had no ability to land hooks. He got a good chin on him. But short range, he's going to get boxed up. Long range, he's going to have success. 
And then for a guy that trains so much and, you know, his base is karate, he seems to want to grapple and grapple yeah. often. I mean, here's another guy that we saw in the contender series who he went out, scored two takedowns, landed almost no strikes. Then he landed like 18 significant strikes throughout the course of the fight and then snatches up a second round arm triangle choke. And then him versus Rafa Garcia, you see again, he's trying to wrestle in that fight. Unfortunately, Rafa Garcia proves to be the better grappler, so it's a moot point. But his grappling looked good to me. Again, you mentioned he's at a syndicate MMA. He's already 30 years old. For a guy that's only 6-0, like, he, he's got a decent enough skill set. Still green, but he's a man. I think he'll go out there and do a decent job of, uh, of himself. But Breeden's the wild card because you and I talk about recency bias a lot. It's great to, to be able to cash on a guy when everybody else is fading him on recency bias. And yeah, Mike Breeden is technically 0-1 in the Contender Series, even though he fought valiantly, and he's 0-1 in the UFC. And Alexander Hernandez just mopped right through him. But there's little takeaways. His takedown defense actually looked pr- quite good against Alexander Hernandez. I think overall his takedown defense is really not all that bad. Again, he's training out of a gym that's a stay-ready gym. I think he's going to come in shape. I think he's going to be ready to go. And I think his takedown defense might be good enough to stuff those initial takedowns. If so, he can keep the fight standing and maybe box him up and have some success. But ever so slightly. Again, I got a lot of dogs on this card, but I, I couldn't find my way to go to Mike Breeden. I had to go with Natan Levy. In terms of the props, Natan Levy by decision was plus 120. Didn't really like that all that much. I think the fight probably does go to uh, the, the distance. Either way, either Breeden can keep it standing and box him up, win a decision, or Natan Levy can take him down and uh, and, and, win the, and win a decision. Or uh, maybe stay to the outside and kick his leg and win a decision. I think all paths generally point to fight goes the distance, which is only minus 155. So I think that's the way I'm going to go on this one. I know I've got a strong lean on who's going to win definitively, but I got a feeling it's going to go all 15 minutes. So fight goes the distance minus 155. That's the prop I like the best for this. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Johan Lainez, fellow Canadian, going up against gifted Gabe Green. In terms of odds, we got minus 140 for Green and plus 120 on Lainez. Now, it was a couple of days ago where I was just, you know, scrolling through Twitter and uh, seeing a bunch of Gabe Green bets. It was insane, the amount of people that was just seeing, like, betting Gabe Green, betting Gabe Green, betting Gabe Like, nothing about Johan at all. Like it, it was at the point where this fight was a, a pick em at minus 110 a couple of days ago. And now you're getting minus 140 on Gabe Green. But after you run the tape, you kind of get it, right? Like there's only a certain amount of uh, success that a guy who goes out there and just finishes his opponents in the first round. Uh, Daniel De Silva is a guy that we're going to be talking about a little bit later who kind of goes along with that uh, pathway as well. But there's only a certain amount of guys that they're going to go out there and beat by knockout in round one. That's kind of what Johan brings to the table, right? A ton of power comes in as a plus 220 dog on the contender series against uh, Englishman Justin Berlinson, finishes him in as well, like just mainly cashing on his one win condition pretty much, right? Gabe Green, on the other hand, has shown great durability and, you know, great striking combinations. He can get in and out with the, with his strikes and do very well in those situations. But... It, it, it comes down to will he be able to eat that shot that's inevitably going to land here from Johan. And if he can, then he should be able to take over the longer that this fight goes. There's a couple of spots that I was looking at for this fight. Violence is obviously one that I like to look at, given we have two you know str- guys that are going to go out there and try to show off their balls and just strike, right? They're trying to show off who has the bigger balls in this spot. Um, I do think that Gabe will be able to eat the early shots from Johan here and then eventually land his own knockout later in this fight. His knockout prop is currently sitting at plus 350, whereas the return here for Elena's by knockout is about plus 200. 
I think one of these guys is going to get knocked out. So uh, I'd go the Gabe Green side with his knockout at plus 350. But even the fight doesn't go to a decision to cover both angles and possibly use as a, as a parlay piece at minus 250, not too bad of a spot there either. I'll go with the gifted Gabe Green. I know we haven't really been picking many of our Canadians to win over the last couple of weeks, even though they have. But uh, I just don't think that this Canadian is going to get it done here. There's a reason he was a plus 220 dog on the Contender Series. And I think it's going to show off why here against Gabe Green. So give me Green, Green by knockout, fight doesn't go to decision. How about yourself? Yeah, if Johan Linus wins this, it's because I'm backing him and I never back him. And it's just, that's what's going to happen, man. Because I tried to be like everybody else all those other times. I know Johan, TK organization, wild man, just reckless, super, super strong. But yeah, he doesn't set up his punches, overhands all over the place, sloppy technique, chin way up in the air. This guy is a defensive liability waiting to happen. And unfortunately, he gets by because he has just such brute power and strength. He clips guys and knocks them out. Okay, fair enough. Watch him run into a wall. Watch him run into a wall. Get signed to CFFC, right? Probably one of the best regional promotions in the entire world, certainly in North America. And, uh, runs right through them, man. You, the first fight, couple fights, okay, I make the excuse, so it's soft competition. He'll run to somebody eventually, right? Runs into this Troy Green, 4-0. Guy looks pretty decent. Johan goes out, looks improved, goes all 15 minutes. I did not think he had the cardio to fight uh, a distance. Okay, fair enough. But you know what? He's going he's gonna to get run into somebody. Evan Cutts, my boy. Dude's got a win over BJ Penn's re brother, Reagan Penn. He was on Bellator Fight Master 10 years ago. Dude, one of the top guys in the Texas regional scene. BJJ Black Belt, trains with Johnny Bedford. The, the man, the man. Should have been in the UFC at some point. Never really quite worked out. It's a, it's a four-round title fight because CFFC does four rounds. Unless it's 2-2, two -two, then they'll do a fifth round. If it's a wipe, they'll just call it after four. But it's a title fight, CFFC title fight. He's going to get killed by Evan Cutts. Just watch, just watch. Man, first round, like, again, it looks like he's starting to tire maybe a little bit. I need Evan Cuss to take this into later waters and take over. I'm really thinking Johan Lyness is going to fatigue. And again, Cuts is very durable, and this is what he does. He takes guys into the deep waters and then chokes them out. Johan Lyness puts a barrage on the guy, just puts a beating on him. Could you call it an early stoppage? Maybe. But, I mean, he's got Cuts in all sorts of trouble, and he had taken his strength and conditioning to some other, like, gym and at really been spending a lot of time and cardio looked good in that fight man. cardio looked good getting ready for a title fight now he gets a contender series fight where he's a three to one underdog and yeah i load up on justin berlinson he's top ticket material dude 17 and one as an amateur right undefeated as a pro looks like a legitimate prospect and what does johan do johan walks in and just clubs him in the face and knocks him out at some point, you got to realize, yep, this guy's got some skill. I think he's a BJJ brown belt under Fabio Hollande. He spends a lot of time in Quebec with uh, Hollande and Patrick Cote at BTT Canada. He's got a mad amount of power. He's still only 29 years old. He's one of these strong guys physically. The tape looks raw. The tape looks, you know, like, geez, he makes a whole lot of mistakes. But he's definitely getting better, and he's been making me pay. He generally comes in as the underdog. There's plus money associated with him, and he's, at the very least, going to come and fight for your dollar. I got the guy on Facebook, does really stands for nothing, means nothing, but he's been highly motivated since the second he got in the contender series. Then And then was like, oh, I'm going to smash this guy. Everyone says I'm an underdog. Watch what I'm going to do to him. And then he smashes the guy. Like, I should have listened then. Puts pen to paper, been training very hard, gets the fight, comes in. I think he's live here. This is why I would say he's live especially. Gabe Green has got now a reputation of he's got some great chin because, I mean, he took a bunch of punches from Philip Rowe and Daniel Rodriguez. Look at his other two career losses. They're both by first-round knockout, including one to Jalen Turner in 36 seconds, right? Jalen Turner, of course, 
very talented 155 pound fighter. This is at 170 against a, a, a big hitter like Johan Lainez. I think you could put him away. Now, Daniel Rodriguez, right? Daniel Rodriguez hits him 175 times and doesn't put him away, which looks incredible on paper. Daniel Rodriguez also hit Rico Farrington 108 times, failed to put him away. He also hit Mike Perry 129 times, failed to put him away. He hit Kevin Lee 120 times and failed to put him away. He, he's, not, he's not a power puncher. He's a volume guy. The thing is, Gabe Green is so unbelievably hittable that he was able to hit him 175 times, just didn't have the power to put him away. Now, Philip Rowe, Philip Rowe's six foot three with like an 80 inch reach. He's so long and gangly, and the dude's black belt. Dude wants to fight on the ground. He's not a striker. So Gabe Green still gets hit quite often from him, but because the he just owns the pocket and he dominates him with the leg kicks, big, tall, lanky, string bean guy, he just takes his leg out from him. Those are the kind of fights you can just get punched in the face and take. Johan, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can stand in front of him and get punched square in the face. I don't think it's going to go good. Johan's also very strong physically. Has, I believe, to have a wrestling advantage. And he has a grappling advantage. Gabriel can strike. All right. Well, we all know he can strike. But what's he off like off his back? What's he off of these grappling exchanges? He's just been zombieing guys so far in the UFC. If Johan just flips the script, takes him down, holds him down for pockets of the round, and shows up in shape, he can win a decision. But more often than not, I think he bangs him clear in the face. Gabe Green just walks in. He knows he's got a reputation as a guy that can put on an entertaining fight. But you know who else did? Chris Moutinho. Whoa, man, Chris Moutinho's got a legendary chin. D does he? Does he? Because fighting that style is not good, right? It's not conducive to a, a lengthy career. And when he stepped in the pocket with Guido Canetti, he got knocked out. Why is that? Well, because Sean O'Malley is a volume guy, and Guido Canetti sits down on his fucking punch. And and I, I think that's the Johan Lioness effect here. I think he's going to do the same thing. Kid might think I'm just going to walk through his punches like I did to those last two guys and get hit with something he didn't see coming. So I'm actually going to take a flyer on Lioness and uh, plus 200 by knockout. Give me some of that. Yeah, I know FanDuel will obviously release a prop here where the fight ends by KO. I feel like that's going to be very uh, bettable in this spot as well. But I absolutely see the Johan side, right? It's tough to bet against guys that have big, big power, but you just got to kind of time when you think that power is not going to pay off for them anymore. For myself, I believe it's going to be this fight, and you believe that the train rolls along. So we'll see how it plays out uh, this weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at... Uh, why is this not loading? There we go. Uh, Daniel De Silva going up against Francisco Figueredo. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 134 De Silva plus 110 the return on Figueredo. This should be a fun fight. You know, Figueredo hasn't really panned out the way that a lot of people expected him to, especially being the uh, brother of uh, Davison Figueredo. He's, uh, what, what's he done now? Uh, one and one in the UFC right now. The first one, obviously, over Jerome uh, Rivera. Then he loses to Malcolm Gordon as a pretty big favorite that night. I believe he was a minus 300 that night. And our Canadian goes out there and pulls off the upset. He was scheduled to fight Jake Hadley in his uh, UFC debut uh, back in March. But Hadley is forced to pull out. Um, oh, sorry, Figueredo was forced to pull out. But he does get quickly scheduled to fight Daniel De Silva here. Now, like I said earlier, when we were talking about guys that go out there and you know, bank on finishing their opponents. Daniel De Silva is one of those guys. He's never seen the third round in his career, and that's very weird or, you know, unorthodox, especially for a, a lighter weight class guy like Daniel De Silva. He showed off that style against Jeff Molina in his UFC debut, and good God, what a fight they put on for the first six minutes that that fight even lasted. We saw Jeff Molina obviously finish him in that second round, but he showed a lot of good things in that fight that he can go out there and strike with the best of them as well. I think Jeff Molina is probably one of the better technical 
strikers in that division. And Daniel Lacerda showed that, you know, he can land his big shots every now and then as well. Here against Francisco Figueiredo, Figueiredo is like a very poor man's version of Davison. He does that stalking style of his brother. He likes to kind of stalk his opponents and throw big shots and try to knock them out but he just doesn't have the power or the pop that it seems that his brother has, which is why he has not been as successful as his brother. I'm expecting this to be a firefight. Obviously, when I when I see two guys like that that want to go out there and slang and bang, I try to lean on the fight, doesn't go to the decision, which currently sits at minus 120. I don't think that this is going to be the first time that we see Daniel go the full 15 minutes, as I believe the style that he brings and how it clashes up against Figueiredo, that will more than likely leave uh, a way for these guys to go out there and uh, and find the finish. I do lean the Daniel De Silva side ever so slightly. I think you'll have the slight speed advantage here, which should help him get to the target quicker. And Figueiredo at times a little bit lacking days ago in his approach with actually throwing behind his aggressive footwork um and i think he's going to pay for that here against De Silva, who will likely find that target over and over again um like i said i lean on the De Silva side i know we haven't seen uh, a finish or sorry francisco figueredo actually get finished i do actually want to see this uh, the fight against john lineker yeah he did get finished by lineker in the third round way back in uh, 2011 so we're talking about 11 years ago and he did get submission choked uh by luis noguera i think it's more so going to come down to a tko here i think uh, De Silva lands when he needs to and eventually drops figueredo and follows up with some big strikes but rather than take a side i'm going to take the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 120 and hope for a finish either way whether figueredo takes over later in this fight because it seems like uh De Silva does start to slow down or De Silva just eventually gets that finish within the first or second round so give me violence here for the 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 smaller guys minus 120 sign me up what do you see here yeah, I don't really trust it either way because it's two guys with gas tank issues. Like on one hand, you got Francisco Figueredo, who you know, similar to similar to Davidson Figueredo. Maybe I don't know. Davidson's got good cardio now, but yeah, just he's low volume for the most part. Uh, he tends to fade the longer the fights go for the most part. He just doesn't have that dynamic knockout power like his brother. He can't get away with this low volume because he doesn't have this fight ending power. And then to gas out against Malcolm Gordon and lose the fight on the basis of that, yeah, I would say he's got questionable cardio. Lacerda, meanwhile. He just fights recklessly. That's his issue. I mean, here's his here's his major malfunction as far as I'm concerned. I think he's 25 years old, right? Very much fights like a young, yeah, 25, hyper-aggressive fighter. Goes out there, tries to finish as soon as he can. He's got 11 pro wins, and all 11 of them are inside the distance. Five by knockout, six by submission. Of the 11 finishes inside the distance, 10 of them in the first round. So that's how he fights. He's reckless. He fights Jeff Molina, like you said, a highly entertaining six minutes. Ah, highly entertaining four minutes, okay? Lacerda comes out right off the hop, and yeah, this guy can strike. He likes his spinning techniques. He's flashy. You know, he's very strong on the feet. He's capable. And then he goes out there, and he gets the fight to the ground against Jeff Molina. He jumps on his back. The whole thing, everything's rushed, okay? The striking is big, powerful stuff. Then he clinches up Molina up against the cage without even having the proper position. He just throws up one hook way too high up. Molina shakes him off, right? Kid hits the ground. And right away, he's throwing up guillotine chokes. He throws up two arm bars. He's just throwing up submission after submission after submission on the ground. It's thrilling. And then around the four-minute mark, he's tired. And then Molina beats his ass for the last minute of the round. And then the second round starts, and Molina knocks him out with the very first right hand that touches the kid in the chin 48 seconds into the second, right? Uh, Molina, that was his first knockout win in, in four years. And he had previously hit Orichi Lang like 270 times, right? Not the biggest clean power guy 48 seconds just clips the kid because he's tired and he exhausted himself now his hands are low and he's sloppy and he eats one good shot 
And so none of that stuff that I can really bank on. He fought hard for a round at best and then seemed to fade off. All of his wins, typically in the very first round by finish, like you're going to really have to go out there and put some pressure on a guy. And you, are you going to go out there and knock out or submit a dude in the first round who grew up in the same household as Davidson Figueredo? And for the record, shocking, I know, but I always have to bring this up. He's Davidson's younger brother, two years younger than Davidson Figueredo, because it seems like he's washed, Francisco, right? <laughs> and yet his brother's the world champion, trains at perhaps the greatest gym in North America and fight ready, shows up in, you know, has made a lot of improvements because, again, this was a guy that got not known for the greatest cardio. And you see him come in that Moreno trilogy in excellent shape with a much better game plan. I don't know. He's a world-class operator. At some point, Francisco's got to get a little bit of the rub. Now let's look at Francisco's two fights. So the first one with Jerome Rivera, he scores four takedowns. They're all easy. They're all right from the clinch. He looks really strong in the clinch, and he'll basically just throw two or three shots, not even three. The guy goes from no combinations. He'll throw one or two, grab a hold of a clinch. He looks physically strong, and he's able to just kind of trip you out, take you to the ground. And once he's on the ground, he is a VJJ black belt, and he can kind of neutralize you from top position. It works against Jerome Rivera because he's just too strong. Against Malcolm Gordon in the first round, same thing. He grabs a hold of Malcolm Gordon, and he just trips him up to the ground. The second round, he can't get the takedown anymore, but he's out striking Gordon. He lands a really nice knee, nice little, uh, you know, nice little right hand up against the cage. And then Gordon takes him down with like a minute left. And that steals around for Gordon. And then, of course, he's tired in the third. Gordon takes him down, beats him up. If he just shows up with two rounds of cardio and can secure takedowns, I think that's really all he needs here against Daniel Lacerda, who figures to probably gas out after the first. And certainly if you can take him down, sit in his guard, let him burn himself up throwing arm bars and triangles and, and, and explosions, then eventually you can just sit on this guy, melt like cheese, exhaust him, and take it into the later round. So I'm going to go with another underdog shot here in Francisco Figueredo. And I think the best prop that I liked on it was uh, the Figueredo by decision at plus 275. The interesting thing here is if you had a strong lean on one side or the other is that the props are tremendous across the board. If you like Figgy, that inside the distance is 275, and the, the three-round decision is also 275. Like, you could just bet, if you were so certain he was going to win, you just bet both of them and come out profitable. Flip side to Lacerda, they're thinking the same thing. Inside the distance is plus 225, and three-round decision is plus 240. So nobody has a great idea if these guys are not just going to gas out and topple over or gas out and lie on top of each other and see the last buzzer. I'm leaning towards the latter. Even if they both gas out, I just don't see the, the finish necessarily materializing. So... Sign me up for a slight underdog here at Figueredo. Figueredo by decision plus 275. Yeah, it's tough to have like major confidence on a guy who has four to five minutes of cardio at chalk. So I can completely understand the underdog shot here on Figueredo. I'm just hoping for violence. I hope that you're off on that part. So we'll see how that turns out here. All right, let's get to the prelim headliner, a fight that was actually supposed to happen last week. And I don't even feel like we need to talk too much about it because I feel like yeah. we're going to be pretty convenient uh, in terms of how we break this down. Alexander Romanov coming in as a minus 2,500 favorite. He's going in against Chase Sherman coming in at plus 1,200. Sherman was originally a short-notice opponent. Now he gets an extra week. Apparently he had to pull out on fight day last week because of some sort of health scare or something like that, some sort of medical issue. But he is good enough to fight a week later, which is weird to me. RIP to everybody that was playing DraftKings last week because they must have got torched by having Alexander Romanov in their, in their lineups. But... Pretty straightforward, right? When you get taken down by Jay Collier and pummeled and then eventually rear naked choked, you got to expect the same thing is going to happen here with Alexander Romanov. The best way to play it, in my opinion, rather than taking a specific prop, let's take Alexander Romanov round one. I know it's a little bit chalky at minus 180-ish, but, you know, 
when when you got a guy like King Kong Romanov on top of you, you don't know which way he's going to go. Sometimes he likes to go for the submission. He has a couple of submission wins on his record, or he likes to just go ham with his uh, King Kong ground and pound that he likes to throw. And I feel like both of those is absolutely possible here against Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman's only way to win this fight, clip him on the way in and possibly knock him out. But to this point, it seems like Romanov's chin is pretty damn durable. He should be able to take any shot that Sherman throws, and he should be able to get him down close the distance and get the TKO going on. Uh, or ground and pound, or submission going from on top. Sherman by KO is plus 1,800. Sherman in round one is plus 2,800. Probably the only ways that you can play this fight if you're taking the Sherman side. But for the Romanov side, minus 190 to win inside round one. Obviously, his inside the distance line is going to be juiced to shit at minus 650. But that seems pretty obvious as how to how this fight will more than likely play out. Is there anything else you want to add here for this fight? We don't need to get too deep into this one, right? Yeah, there's some value there because uh, I got this stupid goddamn fight still sitting on a ticket from last week, and it's minus 700 Romanov inside the distance. You're wow. telling me 650? God damn. Yeah, nothing changes, man. It's the same old thing. Romanov could smash him with the DKO. He could submit him. That's what makes it dangerous playing one specific prop. But Romanov inside the distance, 650. Romanov first round. That all makes sense to me. Uh, the thought process with Sherman, though, that Sherman has to win by knockout or by first round knockout, I don't necessarily see that only because... Romanov showed in the Espino fight that his like cardio is probably not all that good. If he was to gas out, Sherman's a volume guy. If he, Sherman can tire him and keep the fight standing and just jab away, I can see him just taking into later rounds and winning that way. But I don't. When I play the fight out in my head, like that's a rarity. Like more often than not, Romanov goes in, scores the takedown, smashes him up. Is has he improved since the Espino fight? I think so. Physically, the guy showed up last week in awesome shape. I mean, he looked career best uh, being on the scale. He's only beginning to get better and better. And we saw with Chase Sherman, he's a rock and sock and robot. Like, he has fun fights in the UFC when they match him up with one-dimensional strikers that'll just throw hands with him. But the one time Jake Collier, of all people, decides, you know what, I'm just going to take him down, he buzzsawed him. And I would think Romanov would do the same thing. Because he just got submitted, it seems like submission's most likely. Because Romanov's won most of his fights in the UFC by submission. Submission seems more likely. I'm leaning towards TKO. So I think he's just going to take him down, get into half guard, and just start smashing short elbows and King Kong-style punches. The referee is going to say, defend yourself, defend yourself, defend yourself, and then step in. And that'd be it. And when you hear defend yourself being said, you're just going to keep punching away. You may not be looking for the arm triangle choke or the rear naked. I think he just goes out there and puts this guy away. And so anyways, I'm not adding anything new. We're all on the same page. Romanov, Romanov, easy money. Um, and if you're playing DraftKings, I would suggest playing him again. But of course, if they just determine for Chase Sherman out an abundance of caution for his health, we need to remove him from the card. What was the abundance of caution that he shouldn't fight this giant fucking Moldovan guy? No shit. That's bad for your health. It should come with a label, just like a pack of smokes. Fighting this Moldovan dude is bad for your health. We know that. Anyways, Sherman must have signed a, a liability waiver, and here he is. So we'll see what happens, my friend. One thing to note, he is on a three-fight skid right now, and you got to believe a loss here will more than likely you know, be the end of his UFC career once again. So maybe he fights with a, some sort of fucking fire and lands that big shot, but I, I just don't see it happening. You want to add? The UFC offered him twice his show money. Uh, so that that to me says everything. Like he's on a three fight losing streak in the UFC. He's like, listen, you're going, you're going to get released, right? But here's a little parting gift. We're going to give you twice your regular salary. So let's say he no normally makes 20000 a show. They're going to give him a guaranteed forty. And if he pulls it off, oh, crazy. Then you can re-sign a contract. I'm sure he's motivated. 
but I'm sure he's motivated to make as much money in BKFC fighting Joey Beltron than he would getting smashed up by a giant Moldovan guy who, by the way, comes from a sumo base and was also an amateur wrestling champion. So I don't know. Good luck, man. I can't wait for Chase Sherman versus Ike Villanueva headlining the next BKFC card because just as we spoke about last week, Ike seems like the perfect BKFC kind of guy, and he showed off why against Tyson Pedro last week. Go ahead. Well, and they already fought, and Sherman won, but his just back was covered in acne. He ends up getting a positive. No re- I don't know why it's not a no contest, but he gets a three-month suspension out of it. So it's like run it back clean, only yeah. that's the beauty of it. It's in BKFC. <laughs> Nobody's clean. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, dude. Uh, honestly, it slipped my mind that fight even happened, but I remember that's the night that Chase Sherman honey-dicked the shit out of me because he was very good with his calf kicks that night, and that's kind of what slowed down Ike Villanueva, and he was able to open up with his punches. Since he got popped, no calf kicks, no leg kicks, just thrown with his hands once again. So if he's flat, just resorting sure. to his hands, we'll see what happens in BKFC and if Ike Villanueva can hold up. But yeah. Romanov, Romanov by domination. All right, that is a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 160 live viewers that we have with us. I know we normally do it earlier in the day, so we don't normally get as high numbers because people are at work and all that. So I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying this on a you know, uh, a Thursday evening rather than a Thursday afternoon. So we appreciate that. Just a reminder, we are going to be moving this show full-time over to the All-Star starting next week. So make sure you guys go over there and subscribe to their channel. They're bringing us on full-time. Originally, it was just uh, pay-per-view events. But now we're going to be doing it full-time for every single Fight Night show. Uh, so make sure you guys go over to the All-Star and sign up to them. Shout out to my guy, John Stargarian, as well, for stepping in for Cody on Fight Night Weeks when he was not able to do it. He will still be the on-call guy should me or Cody never or not have an opportunity to do a show a certain week. So shout out to John. Make sure you guys go still show him some love. All right. Let's get into the main card here. Kicking things off, we got a middleweight fight between Gerald Mearshart and Christoph Jotko. In terms of odds, we got minus 160 on Jotko, plus 140 the return on Gerald Mearshart. And good God, how does Gerald Mearshart continue to pull these fights out of his ass? Mahmoud Murdov get, getting starched for the first four-ish minutes, then pulls off the takedown and obviously gets the, the rear naked choke in the second round. The Dustin Stoltzfus fight. Absolutely shit in the bed. Probably was going to shit in your apple pie too, Cody, as a minus 250 favorite, but pulls one out of his ass in that third round, gets the rear naked choke against Dustin Stolzfus. Now here he is against Christoph Jotko, who I would be very surprised if he goes out there and finds himself in a certain situation that Mahmoud Muradov and Dustin Stolzfus found themselves in. He's a great striker, uses his movement well, and even in the clinch, he's pretty strong where he's able to push his opponents up against the cage and really batter them and control them in those situations. But when he is at his best, we see performances like the Eric Anders fight. We see performances where he's able to stick and move, use his footwork well, and really make his opponents pay. The Misha Serkinov fight. He gave up five takedowns, but all those takedowns came in the third round. And a lot of those were Matt return takedowns, like quick takedowns where Christoph Jotko was able to get right back to his feet. I'm expecting the same type of approach from Gerald Mearshart here, who's a lot slower, a lot more plotting than Misha Serkinov, but he's going to want to get this fight to the ground if he wants any success. We see sometimes where these jujitsu guys kind of just, you know, throw caution to the wind and they'll just throw big, big strikes just so that they can try to close the distance, maybe land a big enough shot on their opponent to make them think about that shot so that they can change levels and get the takedown. That's what Gerald Mearshart does pretty well, but... I think he's going to get touched up by this jab and the footwork of Christoph Jotko on the outside is going to be too much for Mearshart to, uh, to you know, get his paws on Jotko and drag him to the ground. 
So so give me Jotko here. I know he has that loss to Sean Strickland two fights ago, but he's four and one in his last five fights. Was really building up some momentum for himself before that Strickland fight. I think he continues that momentum here against Gerald Mirchard by just having a classic Christoph Jotko performance. Give me Jotko, Jotko by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 180. Even the overs here at minus 125 are kind of... Uh, um, intriguing to me, but I think the, a large part of that has to do with Mearshart's, uh win equity, which a lot of it is based on him getting a finish. I just don't see it happening, though. I'm going to go with the Jotko side. Jotko by decision, like I said, plus 180. Sign me the hell up. And not to mention that that sick-ass Vegeta tattoo he has on his arm. Mm-hmm. Always cheering for Jotko as he's a Dragon Ball Z fan, like I was back in the day. What, what are you seeing for this fight, man? Yeah, yeah, basically the same thing. I think Gerald Mearshart is a very entertaining fighter that capitalizes on people's mistakes later in fights. If you've got a cardio problem, if you're going to get sloppy, he's going to capitalize. You look at all of his wins, Trevin Giles, he's down two rounds, Giles gasses out and he catches him. Deron Wynn, Deron Wynn wins the, wins the first round, completely gasses out, he beats Deron Wynn. Um, Makhman Muradov, I'm sure you rewatched that fight recently. Mark Smith is warning Gerald Mearshart for the first four minutes of the fight to defend himself. Like, like Warren drops him twice. It's such a frustrating fight because he's like, you gotta defend yourself, Gerald. You gotta defend yourself. You gotta defend yourself. Dude, he's fighting somebody. Leave him alone. Like, he's doing what he's got to do. God damn, I don't like Mark Smith. But anyways, it, it, and Muradov somehow just tires out. He gets clipped by a partial head kick, and then second round, he's just tired. Mearshart puts it on him. Those guys he's going to take advantage of. Stolfitz's last time out, I loaded up on Mearshart. He's everybody's baby, and he's not the most trustworthy guy, but such a nice little matchup here against Dustin Stolfitz. We all love him. First round, he gets an easy takedown. Like, quite literally comes out right off the gate. Last double, takes him down, sets up shop on top of Dustin Stolfitz, does some good work, and then there's a scramble at, like, two minutes left in the round, two and a half minutes left in the round, and he ends up on his back. And at that point, Mearshart's got nothing. He just accepts the position from Stolfitz. There's an argument that Dustin might have won the first. Second round, Dustin just goes out there and gets up on top of Mearshart again. And he's got nothing. Dustin wins the second clean. Third round, it might be 0-2. It might be 1-1. I need him to go out there and do something. Dustin actually scores the takedown and ends up on top of Mearshart. And the Mearshart, thank God, gets back up. Just goes balls to the walls with some strikes. Grabs a, a snap down. Ends up taking his back. Grabs a rear naked choke. Finishes it great. I was so happy. He's like, he saved the ticket. Thank God. But like Jaws of Defeat against Dustin Stolfus? Like, what's going on here? And so I think he's got a lot of problems here against Christoph Jocko that is a better striker, moves extremely well laterally. As you mentioned, he's hard to hit. Almost nobody goes and puts up big numbers up against Jocko because he's hard to track down and get a hold of. He's also got solid takedown defense. Does show five takedowns against uh, Misha Cherkinov given up, but he gets back up very quickly every time. He's got a BJJ black belt almost on his back. He does everything right. You know, he's seasoned the division now. The guy's gone to distance with guys like Dave Branch, Talis Latis, high-level BJJ black belts. He's not been submitted since the Magnus Hedenblad fight eight years ago, right? When you're in a gym, American top team, full-time, you're going to learn some things, and I think he has learned those things. I need him to fight closer to the Eric Anders performance because we need a little more volume out of him. He can't be going out and landing 40, 50 significant strikes every time, right? Well, unless you're fighting Jeremy Mearshart, who just does not put a volume at all, right? He'll throw combinations to eventually grab a hold of you and try to peel you to the ground, but he needs to just create chaos to tire the guy out to capitalize on a sloppy exchange. And I don't think those sloppy exchanges are going to be there against Jocko. So I got Jocko, Jocko by decision. You can get it between plus 180, plus 190. I think it's a very price, fair price tag. 
And again, I mean, he just doesn't have a whole lot of power submission ability on his own end. So if Jocko does win, typically by decision, that's where I would side with. Mearshart, meanwhile, he's a finishing guy. Like he, he typically goes out there and gets either uh, mostly the submission. But I don't know, man. I mean, he, I, submitting Jocko's, I think, going to be a lot easier said than done. And then last but not least, like uh, why I think I'm just going to – the prop I like is the Jocko-Jocko by decision. But ultimately, I think I'm just going to take Jocko straight up is I can't get that Kamzat Chemaev or Ian Heinish fight out of my head for Mearshart, where it's like the first punch that half glances him on the side of the head causes him to just lose all of his equilibrium. And then Muradov drops him twice and has him seriously hurt with no balance. And he perseveres, sure. But like at any point, I think even a, a mild puncher could just glance him and put him in a lot of trouble. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'm just going to play the straight-up Jocko, but... Plus, plus one. I know what. No, I like that. Plus one ninety. Jocko. How does Jocko win by decision? I'm going with Jocko. Jocko to by decision. I like it. Um, yeah. Again, there's not a whole lot of favorites on this card that I'm backing and that I actually like. I like Jocko, and I think the price is right on him both money line and yeah, a two to one prop by decision, which is his traditional path to victory. Sign me up. Uh, shout out to FanDuel once again. They do have that double chance prop where Jotko by KO or points. That's sitting at minus 150. So not that much better than yeah, actually just taking him straight up. But that that's that's not a bad spot, right? He could potentially clip uh, Mearshart here, but historically speaking, he's just yeah. not much of a finisher. It's all styles and matchups and all that. So maybe it does produce a finish for him here. But again, you got to go with historic, right? And historically speaking, he's, he's more of a decision guy than anything. And at plus 185, Sign me up, plus 180, whatever it is. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And we're looking at uh, pretty much Grappler's Delight, I believe we're going to be getting here between Darren Elkins and Canadian Tristan Connolly. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 170 for Elkins, plus 150 the return on Tristan Connolly. Now, I feel as though that this line is a little bit too wide. I'm not picking Connolly to win. I'm obviously going to be going with the Darren Elkins side here. We're letting this Grappler, um, you know, always pushing the pressure, always pushing his opponent to the brink. But it seems like Tristan Connolly really has his gas tank and cardio down. He can go out there and grapple with the best of them, right? Pat Sabatini couldn't finish the guy, went a solid 15 minutes. Another Canadian of ours, uh, TJ Laramie, went a full 15 minutes with Pat Sabatini as well. And that's not to take away from Sabatini's grappling abilities because he's a really good damn grappler. Like, he can go out there and get the submission more often than not. I think that night people were just overlooking TJ Laramie's uh, skill set because of how his UFC debut went against uh, Derek Minner. But here against Tristan Connolly, Connolly is known for his BJJ, right? Like that's his bread and butter. I believe he owns Checkmat. Am I am I mistaken with that? I, no, I yeah, you're right. Gym, yeah, that's the gym that he owns out there in the west coast of Canada. He's known for his BJJ. He likes to go out there, uses jujitsu as much as possible. We saw it in the uh, Michelle Pereira fight that he uh, was able to pull off the big big upset with. Now here against Darren Elkins, I feel like he can hold his own there, and I think he might be. Uh, you know, the the striking is is is. Not the best on either side here, but I do think that Connolly will show slightly better durability should they get into some sort of slugfest in this spot. But but the grappling, I just don't think is going to be one-way traffic as I feel like most people are thinking because of the Sabatini fight. So a couple spots that I'm looking at for this one, uh, the, the fight goes to decision, minus 185. I could see that. I could see it would be a back-and-forth grappling fight. But even taking a flyer on... Connolly by decision at plus 300, I don't think is too bad of an idea because he could get some spots here. He could find himself on top at times. Elkins is usually a reliable guy going up against this level of competition. But like I said, the line is just a little bit too wide for me to get behind Elkins as an actual bet. 
I'm picking him to win, but my favorite prop is actually Connolly by decision at plus 300, as well as the fight to go to decision at minus 185. Am I am I giving Connolly too much credit here? How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I actually am feeling the same thing. Now, oh, just my luck. A couple of weeks ago, you got 0-2 for Canadians, TJ Laramie and Jesse Ronson. Man. So then last week, well, I, I, I fade both of them. <laughs> and then you got Jourdain with an easy money for his red submission and Barrio with an easy money for his red submission. I was like, God damn it. This week, I'm going back to, to both Canadians. And, you know, they could very easily go 0-2 as well. Like, I get it. I get it. It's a tough sport, but. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just time and place and recency bias and name and this and that. And Tristan Connolly is one and one in the UFC. He's 36 years old. He hasn't done overly much with his career. He's 14 and seven. Like, he's just not the sexiest looking guy on paper. So I think a lot of people are going to want to go with Elkins. Season in the division has had these big long wars, has fought the big name guys. He's a lot more tenured and he seems to just have a massing wrestling advantage. But a couple things to factor in with Tristan Connolly. So he fights Michelle Pereira, big underdog. I backed him in that fight because he's a talented guy, right? BJJ Black Belt, scrappy, really good cardio. That was going to be the key. Pereira, bad cardio. Connolly, good cardio, live underdog. Tristan Connolly took the fight on short notice and moved up to 170 pounds and beat him. Beat a guy that is huge at 170 pounds. Missed weight, by the way. I think Pereira came in at 175. Yeah. And uh, went out there and, and, and beats him up, right? And then drops from 170 to 145. But the in-between, he beats Pereira, biggest win of his career. He got he got a double bonus. Yeah, he got a $100,000 bonus because Pereira missed weight and it was a fight of the night. So not only have you never fought in the UFC, you've never been paid any type of relevant sum of money in your career. You now just got your guaranteed 12. Then you got a little Reebok money, so you got 15 grand. Plus, you just won the fight, so you got an additional 12, plus he collects the 100,000. He's like, dude, the entire time I was waiting for my drug test to come back, I was like, oh, please, God, because <laughs> his post fight flunks, he loses the money. And apparently, they don't give you the uh, bonus money until your post fight comes back. So, so you got to sweat it out. But then he took a massive uh, neck surgery, took like two and a half years off, took like time away, got it fused. Um, went out, sought like proper treatment, went in and like got advice from other guys that had similar surgery. I think in Nate Corey, you know, he had a similar surgery and he came back and fought from it, like did everything right. But then to come back from a long layoff, jump down two weight classes and have to make a, a huge weight cut and fight past Sabatini. Yeah, I think that's a tough go. The first round he gets clipped by a right hand and folds over right as DC saying weight cuts, you know, sometimes affect your ability to take a punch. He does get folded over, but he's got his wits about him right away and he defends himself well. The second round, he just gets taken down off a double leg takedown, does a good job of defending himself. But, you know, Sabatini has a way of working his way to the back and he body triangles you and you got no way to go. And I, I get it. The third round Connolly comes at him. He's backing him up. He's pressuring him. His striking looks much better in the third. His timing looks much better on the third. And then with like 45 seconds left, he takes down Sabatini, moves to half guard, and starts putting down some punishment on him. Like, cardio's there. Fought valiantly. It was the slow start. It was the ring rust. I think with Elkins, he's now coming off not a two-year-long layoff. He's now making his second cut back down to 145. I think he's got something left in the tank. Again, he is 36, but he's taking on a guy that on paper is 37. And in real life is 147 because Darren Elkins has taken more damage than a human being is designed to. He's got the fucking damage is tattooed on his chest because, because not of his ability to dole it out because of his ability to take it. The guy is just a meat wagon, right? He is a meat missile. They just program the code and send him straight ahead. 
but you are seeing that he's slowing down. He used to have cast iron cardio, could never tire. Now you are seeing him fatigue a little bit later in fights. He grinds on guys, but his wrestling is not the cleanest. It's more of a grinding style. And Cub Swanson's a tremendous talent, so I can't I can't really fault Elkins too much for that one. But he looks slow, man. He landed one strike, got danced on, and then got knocked out. If Connolly can keep the fight standing, I gave him the striking advantage. If Connolly gets taken down, Jiu-Jitsu's good enough to just keep himself out of harm's way, and then he needs to scramble and just get back up and then get back to the striking. And if Connolly, for whatever reason, can end up on top of Elkins, he's going to have a lot of success. Elkins hasn't been submitted again in a very long time. And the last guy was like Charles Oliveira, so really not that big of a problem, dude. But I, I think with if he gets tired and he shoots a sloppy takedown, he's going to get his neck in, in a bad position. Conley loves the snapdown. He loves the guillotine. He loves to set that up. But I think just a guy that can match Elkins' um, pressure, not necessarily his pressure, but his cardio and his pace, someone that can match that will have a good chance of pulling through. And he's live as an underdog. And then beyond that, plus 300 by decision? Like, okay, I'm willing to take a shot. So... Yeah, just another underdog I think's got a legitimate chance, and I think that in terms of a prop, there's a big plus money price tag associated with it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, and I completely glossed over the Cub Swanson knockout that he suffered last time around. Who knows how that will uh, affect him moving forward? And maybe if Tristan Connolly can find the button as well and and take advantage of the the durability issues now. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah. Move on. Yep, let's move on to the next one here. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this one. Uh, we got Jared Gordon going up against Grant Dawson. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 for Grant Dawson, plus 155 for Jared Gordon. Now, this will be Grant Dawson's first fight since he's severed ties with James Cross and Glory MMA. He's down there at American Top Team now, and I'm interested to see how that's going to impact his career, especially as a bright young prospect. He's probably one of the best grapplers that we have inside the UFC. His striking game is still coming you know, together a little bit, but it's also his gas tank issues that have come back and kind of bit him in the butt a couple times, obviously in his last fight against Rick Glenn, where Glenn was able to stuff the takedowns with relative ease in that third round and just absolutely beat him down in that third round to eventually get that draw. Jared Gordon, a very solid fighter, great output, great pressure, uh, really tries to do what Grant Dawson is is not good at, and that's you know uh, wear his opponents down and really just try to gas them out. And if, he, if he's able to survive the early going here against Grant Dawson, I think he's live to do that here against, uh, against Grant Dawson. We saw it in the Joe Selecki fight. He got in some sticky situations in that first round, but was able to use his submission defense effectively there. And then in the second and third rounds, really started to take over with his own, you know, top position work from uh, uh, with his ground and pound and with his control. And I feel like he could do the same thing here against uh, Grant Dawson. Uh, Dawson, you know, in, in terms of his striking, the only thing that really stands out is, you know, the sometimes he goes for the calf kick. Outside of that, you know, it's still a work in progress. Obviously, he was able to get that big uh, knockout victory over Leo Santos at the last second, but I think he's going to have a lot more issues here dealing with a guy like Flash Gordon, who's going to be putting the pressure on him from the jump. Sure, Grand Dawson will have success early in this fight because he's probably, like I said, probably one of the better grapplers in this division, bar none. But it's just his ability to use it effectively over 15 minutes, which is his issue. Maybe American Top Team can rectify that. But I don't think changing gyms is going to help anybody who has a cardio issue. It's more so how he implements his game plan, which will allow him to use his cardio uh, more effectively over 15 minutes. I just don't know if that, you know, making the change is going to help him that much, especially against a very tough guy in Flash Gordon, right? Flash Gordon's issues in the past have been, you know, he's chinny. 
people like to take uh, guys with big power against him, and they paid for it against Danny Chavez, right? Danny Chavez won in there as a favorite, got absolutely dummied over 15 minutes in that fight, albeit Jared Gordon missed weight that night, but he still went out there and used his game plan effectively. Then he comes back in the Joe Selecki fight, another fight where I believe he was a slight underdog, but showed off his grappling chops by dealing with the ground game of Joe Selecki, which is probably one of the you know, one of the top 10, top 15 in the jiu-jitsu uh, realm of that division. Pure jiu-jitsu I'm talking about. Grand Dawson, a much better wrestler than Joe Selecki, much better top pressure. But if Joe, uh, if Jared Gordon can stay safe in those situations, I think it starts to look ugly for Dawson the longer that this fight goes. Because when he gets desperate, his shots become very uh, sloppy, right? He, he shoots from so far out. And I feel like Gordon with his footwork and with his pressure that he applies at times, will be able to see those takedowns coming from a, from a mile away and should be able to keep this in the standup realm where he'll have the advantage in my opinion. Not a big power puncher, but he likes to use combinations and just his aggressive footwork to pressure his opponents and get them to slow down and gas out and really, you know, wear it. Danny Chavez, again, perfect example. Joe Selecki, perfect example. So if Dawson doesn't get finished early here, I think it gets. I think things get sticky for uh, Grant Dawson. I'm gonna go uh, Gordon by decision, which is currently sitting at plus two twenty five. Uh, if you have access to one of those websites that have round three slash decision, I think that's another good way to go about it for Jared Gordon. Uh, Gordon round three is currently sitting at plus eighteen hundred. Sign me up a little bit for that. And tenfold hat, it happened in his last fight. Could happen here, plus 6,600 for the draw. Why not? We saw it happen last time, and I feel like Jared Gordon is another guy that could take advantage of uh, a poor gas tank uh, utilization from Jared uh, Grant Dawson the later that this fight goes. So sign me up for Flash Gordon. I'm still waiting to see if his line's going to get better because I feel like uh, the public loves them some Grant Dawson, but I feel like they're going to, you know, underrate Grant, or sorry, Jared Gordon as they have over the last couple fights and they're going to pay for it here. So give me Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon by decision, maybe even round three. How do you see this one? Yeah, man, I hear you pretty much on all the same points. I think Flash Gordon's he's going to be live. I think he's live for that third round finish. I think he's live for it inside the distance. I think he could just win the fight on the basis of two rounds to one. Even if you look like those double chances that you bring up all the time, but the Jared Gordon in round three or decision plus 225, like yeah, again, I think all this makes sense. Either he's going to just beat him up and win the decision, or he might be able to stop him late. But it really just depends on Grant Dawson. Like, do you do you know the reason why he, him and James Krause separated? I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I, either. I know. I know Dawson put something out on his IG, like thanking James Krause for everything, and then just absolute radio silence from the James Krause side of things. So I think James might hold a little bit of ill will towards him for leading him because he's probably the best guy that he has in terms of, you know, who could touch gold outside of Brandon Moreno, who he just recently teamed up with. But yeah, no real reason. I think he just wants more bodies to work with. Maybe he just wants uh, a, a super team, right? Maybe it comes down to the training partners. Who is he training with at Glory MMA? Tim Elliott, right? Jeff Molina. Like that's not yeah. really gonna Jeff Molina is his best chance at touching gold, baby. That guy is a beast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, I, I hear what you say. No, I just don't know like how it affects the guy because yeah, he's been with James Cross for a long time. He's initially from Kansas, is he not? Yeah, he's he's from well, he's from Nebraska. He's from Nebraska, attended college in Nebraska. He's been with, with Cross for a long time. Listen, Grant Dawson's been a money machine for me. He's generally a big favorite. 
but I've been riding this guy. He comes in, he does the damn thing. His wrestling is just tenacious. He'll shoot multiple takedowns. He's taking guys like Julian Arosa down six times. You know, his fight with Derek Minner, he was in some bad guillotine chokes early, but the kid just keeps grinding, perseveres, tires him out, gets the submission over Minner. Mike Trezano, good fighter, you know, three takedowns there, rear naked choke. The guy's just all over people. Matt Naramani, strong physically, beats him up. Again, I just, I ride Grant Dawson every time. And then the Leo Santos fight, like I, I'm probably too exposed to Grant Dawson on these plays, but I think Leo's 40 and he's not going to cement my boy Dawson. I've seen him get out of all of, you know, Minner's attempts and, you know, we're just going to grind on Santos and put a beating on him. But he looks susceptible in that fight. That was like the beginning. His striking is really not all that good. On the ground, if you've got high-level BJJ, it's not like he's just going to pass. It's not He's not rear naked choking these better grapplers. Maybe he does have some type of limitation to him. And then <clears throat> Kraus really got after him and going into the third. Like, you could be down 2 nothing. I need you to go out, and I need you to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Kid goes out, listens, gets a knockout with one second left on the clock. It was pretty crazy. But to me, that was a flat performance. So against Rick Glenn, again, I made the mistake of loading up on him. And in the first round, I'm counting my money. Like, he looks awesome. He takes Rick Glenn down, easily controls him. We're good. In the second round, he's already fatigued. The takedowns are not coming as easy. And he's got no striking to fall back on, which is problematic. But Rick Glenn's not necessarily known for his defensive wrestling skills. So he gets the takedowns on him. And same thing, he wins the second. I'll bite a lot closer. And then the third, yeah, the takedowns aren't there. But when he shoots it... Rick Glenn just topples over on top of him and puts together just a, a tremendous beatdown to the tune of a 10-8 round. I was happy because I had Grant Dawson on my top ticket, so at least I didn't lose everything there. But it also significantly lost a lot of value, that top ticket, because I just got a push on the fact that it was a draw. To me, this is the second flat performance he's had. Him going to American Top Team could be the difference maker. If he shows up with two rounds of cardio, his wrestling's on point, he's still only, I think, 27, 28 years old, he'll be making some improvements. That's all good stuff. But if he hasn't been at ATT long enough, what improvements could he have really have made? Two, the guy that's been cornering him for the vast majority of his professional career is no longer there. Three, oh wait, he is there. He's got two other fighters on the card. You're going to see him. You're going to have to acknowledge him. It's added pressure, right? Four, he's taking this fight on short notice, right? I mean, he's coming in for Rafael Alves. So Grant Dawson's actually got quite a few things kind of going against him. And when you consider he's the favorite... I just don't think I can get to that number myself. So I think Gordon's live. He's a junkyard dog. He always has been. You mentioned the Selecki fight. He gives up the takedown. Joe Selecki's on his back. He defends everything perfectly. The second round, he stuffs the takedowns. He boxes him up. The third round, it's like, who wants it? Who wants this damn thing? Selecki can't take him down. He stuffs everything. His timing looks a little slow. I think he's just anticipating the takedown so much. I didn't think he fought a great third round, but enough to get the win over Joe Selecki. He's got to do the same thing here against Dawson. He needs to maybe lose the first round. Maybe we consider hitting him live after the first if he drops it and you get an even better plus money price tag. But I think he's got the ability in that second or third round to stuff some of the takedowns and box him up. And last but not least, like Jared Gordon, another one of these guys that I considered my boy. I love this guy. Infinite cardio fights for your dollar. And then he kind of went through this chinny phase. And then he fought, uh, I think he fought Dan Moret. He looked like he was fighting in quicksand. He was so slow. All of his reactions just gone. Uh, his timing is gone. His reflexes were shot to bits. And then he gets on by Charles Oliveira. He's a write-off in my books at this point. But he beats Chris Fishgold, looks a little bit better, slow again. And then he moves over to Sanford MMA, and his his explosiveness is back. The Danny Chavez fight, he misses weight, so he moves up to 155. 
And then at 155 pounds, he just seems to be a lot fuller, a lot more energetic, can wear a punch a little bit better, and has kind of gotten back to himself. Plus, the division's not as fast as 45 is, so he can get away with a little bit of that, I think. Uh, enough to get the job done. I'm probably over-talking this one. I'm not super confident either way. But again, it's another underdog I think has a, a solid enough chance to take the shot. And with this prop sitting here of, uh, well, there's many ways to attack it. You could go the Gordon by third round. You could go the Gordon by decision. You can go the Gordon round, third round, and by decision, depending on what your book offers for certain things. Um, and you could even just fight, take fight goes the distance. Because even if Grant Dawson does win the fight, I don't think he's putting away Jared Gordon. He doesn't have the knockout power to knock him out. And he ain't going to submit him. Guy's a BJJ black belt, so... Good luck. Fight goes the distance minus 185. Maybe not the worst look either. I love it. I love it. I'm glad that we're on the same spot there because I was thinking that you're going to go on the Dawson side because I know like Dawson is a public favorite, but man, Jared Gordon keeps showing up and keeps turning back some of these guys that try to make a name off of him. But uh, yeah, very look, very much looking forward to Gordon getting some respect after this fight if he can get the dub. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Andre Touchy Feely going up against Yoannison Brito. Minus 220 on Feely, plus 185 on Brito. And I feel like we just saw Brito compete, right? It, he, it wasn't that long ago that he made his UFC debut against Bill Algio. Uh, yeah, it was January. So this is going to be the second time he steps in the cage this calendar year. Um, fun fighter, likes to pretty much be aggressive right off the bat, right? Like smooth forward, throw big shots, look for that knockout, really try to pressure his opponents. Uh, and probably one of the gnarliest shark tattoos on his back, if you remember that tattoo. He has a giant shark on his back. It's hilarious. But he fights just like it, man. He fights very aggressively. He wants to go out there and get the finish more often than not. Uh, he obviously got a technical decision victory over Diego Lopez on the contender series back in 2021. But if you just skim over his record, man, a lot of first round finishes, second round finishes, and he was on a very long winning streak before coming into the UFC. But then obviously Bill Algio was able to deal with that aggressiveness with a little bit more discipline and pretty much chip away at him from the outside. I feel like Andre Feely will be able to do the same thing here. Uh, there's a reason Feely is a minus 220 favorite, and I completely understand why. Brito, his aggressiveness sometimes bites him in the ass, and I feel like this is going to be one of those fights where we see it. Feely should do a good job in terms of controlling the range. Even though he'll likely be on his back foot for the majority of this fight, I think he'll do good enough with his combinations and his striking to kind of keep Joannis and Brito at bay. Uh, the spot that I actually like quite a lot, uh, Andre Feely, quite durable. Brito, quite durable as well. Fight goes, goes to decision, currently hangs around minus 140, minus 150 at certain spots. I see this fight being one of those spots where Brito's going to be pushing forward for the most of it with Feely fighting off of his back foot and landing the more effective strikes. But this will more than likely go to 15 minutes. So rather than take a side and possibly whiff on the minus 220 on Andre Feely, uh, you know, maybe the judges see the the forward pressure of Joe Anderson Brito being the difference maker. At least I cash a ticket with this going the full 50 minutes at minus 150. So yeah, give me um give me the fight goes to decision at minus 150. Uh Feely by decision is currently sitting at plus 145. I can see the uh, see that path as well. But even for Brito, if he doesn't get the finish, his aggressive style could fare well in the judge's eyes as well. And his decision prop sitting at plus 350 is not too bad of a shot on him Well, as well. Again, I know he's more often than not a finisher, but Feely is very durable, very difficult to put away. And I think it's going to be, you know, 
not calling it impossible for Brito to finish Philly, but I think he's not going to have as good of a chance of finishing him as he has had over the regional scene fighting these lower level guys. So give me fight goes to decision minus 150. I'll pick Philly as the winner, but I just don't want to pay that minus 220 on his name. How about yourself? How are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, I got feely, feely by decision plus 145. I think you also might be able to get a better price tag potentially after the first round if Joannis and Brito comes in hard as he generally does. But yeah, again, he's just somebody that makes a little bit too many mistakes versus someone who's a lot more seasoned and experienced than Andre Feely. Keep in mind, if you're Joannis and Brito, you're 0-1 in the UFC and you lost to Bill Algeo. And now you're fighting Andre Feely. He's like 13 fights in the UFC. He's fought in Yair Rodriguez. He's fought in, uh, is fought in Bryce Mitchell. He's fought in uh, just uh, Calvin Cater. <laughs> like he's, he's fought in a plethora of the best guys in the division. Generally gives a good account of himself. He's very seasoned and experienced. You know, on one hand, it's like, yeah, okay, I get why he's the second biggest favorite on the card. I think Joanna Sombrito could pose him problems, but he's just like hyper aggressive. He doesn't have that same experience. When you watch him on the Ultimate Fighter versus, or not Ultimate Fighter, Contender Series versus Diego Lopez, he shoots a takedown immediately in the first round, gets it, and then, you know, roughs him up from top, top position. Not much ground and pound, not many submission attempts, but just very physically strong. Second round, he's getting beat up quite handedly standing. Everything he throws is 100%. Everything is a winging hook over the top and largely misses. He is getting beat up standing. Body muscles him to the ground, and he wins the second round as well. Now the third round, dude, he's gassed. He's already been worn twice for eye pokes, and he finger blasts him right in the eyes to start the third round. And uh, it, should, it should be a no contest. should be a disqualification. At the very least, how can you score the third round? It was 12 seconds. You can't <laughs> score the third round. It's 12 seconds, okay? And he literally fucking finger blasted him in the eye worse than a virgin on prom night. So... What can you what can you take him away? I, I I don't know. But he should have lost a point, and even had he won the two rounds, it should have been a draw, shouldn't it have? No, 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 no. They give him a win and they give him a contract. Okay, Bill Aljeo. I like Bill Aljeo, but I did load up on Brito because he's too physically strong, and that's one thing with Aljeo. He's tall and lanky and kind of gets out muscled in a lot of positions. So I got Brito. Brito goes out the first round, big takedown. Aljeo gets up, dude. He picks him up. He runs from Bill's corner back to his corner, twirls a loop, goes back to the center of the ring, and then runs back to his own corner and dumps him with a big slam. But talk about exerting energy for no reason. And that's the problem. After a very strong first round against Bill, he gasped. In the second round, he's winging overhand hooks, overhand bombs, missing pretty much everything, doesn't land almost nothing. Bill's outpointing him. Bill's matadoring him. Bill's staying long at the outside. And Bill starts to take him down. Now in the third round, it's a who wants it more? You got Brito winning the first. You got Bill winning the second. I think Brito does an excellent job in the third round of just coming forward zombie mode, fighting like he does want it. Want it. And what does Bill do? Takes him down, spends the last minute and a half on top, secures the victory, and you got a big underdog loss, now, a big uh, favorite loss from Joannis and Brito. It wasn't a great first performance. Now you can make an excuse, UC debut, and he's still green and this and that, but to me, he overexerted his energy. He just used too much strength. And it did not work for him. And against Feely, I got much of the same vibes. Feely likes to flow. He likes to stay to the outside. He likes to fight long. He's a guy that's extremely talented. You saw in his last fight with Daniel Pineda, it's a no contest. But that's maybe as best as he's ever looked. He sees everything coming. His combinations are on point. His kicking is on point. And he's spent so much time at Team Alpha Male that even if a takedown attempt does come from Brito and he does get taken down, he should be able to get back up. Guy got taken down seven times by Bryce Mitchell. 
Most guys get taken down three times by Bryce Mitchell or maybe even once and he submits them. But to be able to get back up from a guy that's that physically strong and fight on, he's got a good get-up game. And a good get-up game will be really good against Joanna Sombrito because it's going to cause him to overexert himself, tire himself uh, from just continuously getting back up if he chooses to wrestle. If he chooses to strike, stay long and stay to the outside. So I think Feely wins. I think Feely's probably one of your better plays this week. And then, yeah, Feely by decision plus 145 makes sense to me. Yeah, surprised at the step up in competition for Abredo after a, a, a gaffe in his UFC debut, but maybe they see something in him. Maybe it's a perfect timing for Feely as well to hopefully rebound and get his own win as well. All right, let's get to the co-main event where we have a heavyweight fight between Andre Arlovsky and Jake Collier. My guy, Jake Collier. We got minus 145 on Arlovsky, plus 125 on Jake Collier. Very interesting fight here where I really, really wanted to back my guy, Jake, but I just don't know if I can do it here against Andre Arlovsky. Now, I bet against Arlovsky at pretty big odds with uh, Jared Van Der in his last fight, and I was impressed with Van Der's ability to get Arlovsky into certain spots that he needed to, like mainly getting him to skirt up against the cage, but he just did not pull the trigger at all. If he were to, if he was to pull the trigger like he did in the third round, he likely would have come away with a win in that, in that fight. But I don't know what it is about Andre Arlovsky that just made uh, Vandera like look like he was stuck in sand or just frozen because he just did not push anything until it was too late in that third round and he just couldn't find the finish against Arlovsky. Arlovsky just still doing the damn thing, right? Like who hasn't this guy fought ever since coming back to the UFC? Literally fought every UFC fighter at heavyweight that's been uh, in, in the UFC since he's come back, right? It's crazy. But what is it about his style that made Jared Vandera gun shy and not wanting to pull the trigger because it couldn't be knockouts right last time he got a knockout travis brown seven years ago remember that fight, fight? of the year crazy oh, who fight. doesn't remember that crazy fight crazy fight if you yeah guys he got dropped too fight, <laughs> exactly yeah that, that's where we saw like uh travis brown look like a horse on skates or on ice or something like that yeah. because he just Bambi. kept getting wobbled and thrown around exactly he looked like bambi exactly if you guys haven't seen Arlovsky versus travis brown i would highly recommend taking out four minutes of your time to watch that fight because and, it and they used to be long. friends uh friends and training partners at jackson wink and they were yes. going in the fight they're like oh i love this guy i love this guy <laughs> and yeah and then they beat right the back. shit out of each other oh that was amazing great, fight. Man. but that was, was the last great. time we saw our last recorder a knock or knockout i should say right maybe it was just because of how crazy that fight was but he even got a knockout in the fight before that against antonio bigfoot silva what i'm trying to say is he's not a knockout puncher nowadays so I was kind of surprised to see Jared Bandera being so gun-shy when he was getting Arlovsky into these bad positions up against the cage. And then all Arlovsky did was just blitz forward with a three-punch combination then get back out into open space and then just get back to work with what he does. Jake Collier, he might win a round, might win two rounds, but it's tough to look past his uh, performance against Carlos Philippe where his body language in that third round looked very, very bad. You know, I believe he outstruck uh, Carlos Philippe in that third round, but just given his body language, I think the referee sided with the Philippe side because it looked like he was landing the more effective blows, uh, even though he wasn't landing as much as Jake Collier that night. Arlovsky just finds his way to decision, his way to, to, to victory nowadays, right? The the Philippe Lins fight, the, the Tanner Bowser fight. Like, there's so many fights where he can just go out there and just eke out decisions because he has a decision-friendly style. He knows when to strike. He knows when to get out of the way. Uh, his takedown defense, for the most part, is pretty good. I'd be surprised if Jay Collier actually has success like he did against Chase Sherman to get this fight to the ground and do big work from on top. But I think people might be jaded by that performance from Jay Collier 
because that because it was so dominant and it wasn't that long ago right it was only three months ago way back in january but even in the post-fight press conference for jake collier one of the things that he noted was he noticed that uh chase sherman whenever he throws leg kicks sometimes he just throws them very lazily and he goes if he goes out there throws a leg kick against me i'm gonna catch it and i'm gonna take this guy down and he goes as soon as i saw that kick that's exactly what i did and it paid off for me I'd be surprised if he has that amount of success here against Andre Arlovsky in terms of grabbing a kick and trying to take him down. Historically speaking, Arlovsky's a very tough guy to take down, right? Outside of the Tom Aspinall fight, it's very difficult to get this guy to the ground. And I'd be surprised if Jake Collier has massive success taking that path here. So if this turns out to be a 50-minute kickboxing match, it's tough to look past the work that Arlovsky's been able to do over his last several fights by just outpointing these guys on the feet. Collier should remain competitive, and I get why the odds are so close, but I still do end up on the Arlovsky side here as he'll likely be able to land the more significant strikes, uh, make it look better for the judges. He just has his way with the judges somehow, some way, and he keeps getting it done. So Arlovsky by decision at plus 125, sign me up. Fight goes to decision minus 190, sign me up. I want to back my guy, Jake Collier. I want to see him continue this run that he's on since that Tom Aspinall gaffe and that Carlos Philippe uh, loss. But I just don't think that this is the fight. Give me Arlovsky, Arlovsky by decision. How about yourself? Yeah, this is what Arlovsky does, dude. He fights middling heavyweights. They're usually lower striking affairs. Even if he fights a guy with high volume and high output, yeah, they get caught in these Arlovsky lulls where it's like, yeah, I got a man crush on this guy. He was my favorite fighter at once upon a time. He's been fighting since 1997. He's the longest tenured guy on the roster. He's fought in absolutely everybody. You know what's tremendous about him? You look at his record. From the get-go, from the get-go, it's all champions. Rico Rodriguez, champion. Yeah. Pedro Hizzo, title challenger. Matyshenko, title challenger. Tim Sylvia, champion. Paul Intello, title challenger. Tim Sylvia, twice more. Marcio Cruz, Fabricio Verdum, former champion. Beats the Roy Nelsons, beats the Ben Rothwells. Fights uh, Fedor, fights Antonio Big Silva, Haratok, fights everybody. Everybody from that generation. Then he shows up and fights a new generation. Fights Stipe, the Overeems of the world. Francis Ngannou. You know, he's got the fight with Josh Barnett, like, who's not new age, but Hall of Fame guys, former champs, another former UFC champion. Everybody. Not only does he fight all these world-class guys, he fights a lot of strange characters. Vladislav Dotsik, terrorist. Aaron Brink, also known as male porn star Dick Delaware. Cabbage Carrera, what the hell? Spend jail time for receiving stolen property in Hawaii. Uh, he's got a... Junior well, of Albini. course, good old Roy Nelson. Tra Tra Travis, Junior Albini showed up in a diaper. Travis yeah. Holt is a child molester with the most recorded fights, even though they're all fixed. And who could forget Brendan Schaub, a shitty comedian? So it's like he's literally done the who's who, man. He's fucking fought in everybody. How could you not root for him? And I'll be straight up. If you're a judge and you're sitting there watching Arlovsky and it's a moderately close fight, and it's like, oh, that, that round close could go either way. Arlovsky, because he's Andre Arlovsky. Now you look at his run, and honestly, I thought he did not win that Tanner Bozer fight. I mean, he just gets outpointed. And there's another theme here is that he gets outpointed in quite a few of these striking battles. But they're looking at punch selection from Arlovsky as more favorable than just pure numbers. But he did get outstruck by Jared Vandera. Uh, he got and he got outstruck by Tanner Bozer. He got outstruck by Bozer sixty-eight to thirty-four. How did he win? Because it's ah oh, well, punch selection from old Andre. So with Collier, it's not necessarily enough to just go out there and outwork him. You got to really go out there and outwork him. But I think it's possible, man. I think Vandera, 
who's a shittier striker than Collier, who the game plan was there. The ability to win the fight was there. He's outstriking him. But even Bisming on commentary is mentioning, he's like, yeah, Vandera's outworking him and he's backing him up. But I think I'm inclined to score the fight for Andre. Why? Why? Because that's what you do. It's Andre. You got to do something. You got to really put a stamp on it. And I think Collier might be able to just be another one of these middling pack, close, competitive, split decisions. That's all fine. Only Collier is the underdog. So I'm kind of chasing the underdog side of things. I got Collier. I got Collier by decision, which officially is uh, plus 250, I believe. Although my book's currently wonky because it says it's five rounds, which it, it clearly is not. Um, yeah, okay, him by decision or technical decision. Here's a crazy thing, too. I don't know how your guys' books are, but my book will tell you, oh, here's Jake Collier by five-round decision, plus 250, okay? Now here's a prop, Jake Collier, Jake Collier by points, which is plus 250. And you also got Jake Collier by decision or technical decision, which is plus 250. It's all the same thing. It's all different language. Make sure you get the decision or technical decision <laughs> because if you click on the by points, they'll try to screw you. If you try to click on the three-round decision or five-round decision, they'll try to hit you on the didn't quite complete the required rounds. Hit the decision or technical decision, and it'll hopefully prevent you from getting screwed. Although, I don't know, man. That Dean Barry thing really left a sour taste in my mouth the week after two guys almost get disqualified for illegal fouls. Like, what the hell are they thinking, man? What are they thinking? I don't know. And that's why gambling is always a risky proposition because once that cage door locks, who the hell knows? Dude, I was just like skimming through Andre Arlovsky's uh, record as well when you were talking about it. And some of the names are just completely surprising to me. The the Anthony Johnson fight, remember that? The Rumble Johnson fight at Abbeyweight? Like, what the Broke fuck? his jaw, dude. He broke his jaw at the end of the first. It's shattered. Arlovsky hits the ground. The round ends. It's seven seconds over the buzzer. So it was a fault on World Series of Fight. And he fought on. Like, what? Chinny? Chinny? Anthony Johnson just shattered his jaw and he fought two more rounds with it. Like, holy shit. Yeah, because after that so fight, he, he went on a six-fight winning streak and was pretty much one fight away from fighting the title or fighting for the title before Stipe finished him. And then he goes on to lose five fights but still manages to keep his UFC job because the UFC loves him. Apparently, they love paying him six figures every single time he fights. But that, that man's a legend. I think he's carved out pretty much a, a permanent spot for himself in the UFC. You want, to, you want to know the craziest one that I thought was uh, – you're looking at his record, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. So so look at uh, 2007, April 21st, 2007. He beats Fabrizio Verdum, right? Goes yeah. out, picks up a solid victory over Verdum. His two losses at this point in, uh, so in recently are Tim Sylvia, champion. He beats Marcio Cruz by first-round knockout. Cruz is legit, and he beats Fabrizio Verdum. It's the co-main event of UFC 70. Big win. His very next fight is against Jake O'Brien, okay? Look at the belt placement on UFC 82, the very next card, after he was the co-main event, one card prior. Oh, he's wow. The prelim prelim headliner. Yeah, and then look where his very next fight takes place after that. Uh, affliction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> so, so it was the last fight of his deal, and they were like, fuck you, Andre. And they put him on the prelims against Irish Jake O'Brien, who, God bless him, had <laughs> to go in yeah. there and fight a prime version of Arlovsky. Uh, the rest is end up being history, but like the UFC knows how to play ball. You have to play ball. This guy went to irrelevance on the regional scene and then has come back 
and is enjoying the best days of his career. And they've paddled Andre in the back and they've booked him effectively against Felipe Lins, Tanner Bowser, Chase Sherman, Carlos Felipe, Jared Pantera, and now Jake Collier, a former middleweight. Uh, Andre deserves it. If anybody deserves it, this dude. I'd love to be on your side and pick him as well. I really would. But, you know, just business. Ever so slightly, I got to go the other way. Of course, I know what I'm getting myself into. And Arlovsky, by split decision, is very likely incoming. 53 fights for the veteran Andre Arlovsky. This will be his 54th time entering the cage. Let's see how it goes for him. All right. That brings us to our main event of the evening. I do want to remind the 160 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and go follow my guy Cody on Twitter as well, at CJ Saftik. Uh, and a reminder that next week we will be full-time back on the All-Star, and that's where we're going to be doing the Property You Up show every goddamn week for you guys. Myself, my pretty brown face, and my guy Cody Saftik and his lovable, handsome white face. Yes, yes. I would say I would say all of it. I'm real pasty. So, uh, yeah. Especially with that lighting. You know, I, I might <laughs> the lighting to... does me no justice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need some sunglasses looking over <laughs> on your side of the screen. All right. Let's get to the main event here. We got a bantamweight scrap between Rob Font and Marlon Vera. Minus 135 for Rob Font. Plus 115 for Marlon Vera. Interesting matchup here between two guys that are solid strikers. Um, Rob Font obviously coming up short in his second main event slot last time around against the legend Jose Aldo. I'm still kicking myself over here for uh, not betting Rob Font, but picking Rob Font to win against Jose Aldo in what was going to be a you know obvious striking matchup for 25 minutes. Jose Aldo goes out there and just shuts down the naysayers. And although Rob Font outstruck him on numbers... Jose Aldo was landing the much more significant strikes, dropped him a couple of times in that fight and was just having his way with him in that fight. But Rob Font, when he's on, we see performances like the Cody Garbrandt fight where he's just working behind his jab, putting his numbers up there and really just using the right hand behind the jab to uh, assert his effective striking and try to sway the judges back to his way. Marlon Vera, on the other hand, uh, solid work from him last time. I believe he took out Frankie Edgar with that beautiful front kick up the middle, turning Frankie Edgar into an NFT, but still manages to go out there, get the finish in that third round after I believe it was 1-1 going into that third round. Before that, goes and beats David Grant, really turning on the burners in that third round, uh, getting some big ground and pound off in that uh, top position. But that first round was very iffy for him because David Grant was just throwing and throwing and throwing. And that's kind of what you need to do to kind of nullify the the game of Marlon Vera. Because if he sends any sort of slowdown or weakness in your game, he's going to turn the burners on and he's going to try to get you out of there. Rob Font, though, I think he has a solid game for 25 minutes if he can use that jab effectively. And if he continues to put output there, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for Marlon Vera to get much of his game off. Sure, he's a lethal and violent striker, and when he does really get to go and get going, he puts the damage on his opponents. But I think that Rob Font... I don't think he has too much to worry about in terms of the power coming back his way from Marlon Vera in this spot, which should allow him to fuel his output heavy game, to stick behind that jab, to keep that uh, striking going, keep the combinations going, keep the kicking going, and that should allow him to you know do that over 25 minutes, in my opinion. Because you see it in the first like three-ish minutes of the Jose Aldo fight. Confidence is at, at an all-time high. Output is going, no issues. But once Jose Aldo lands that big shot to drop him, that's where everything changes for Rob Font. I don't know if Marlon Vera has that one punch, you know, head ability or, or power 
to cause Rob Font much concern in this fight, which is why I lean the Rob Font side. I do think his output numbers are going to be way higher than Vera. I expect this to be a pretty much a kickboxing fight for the majority of 25 minutes, and I got to lean the guy in Rob Font, who, in my opinion, is the slicker striker, and as long as he doesn't get clipped and his confidence doesn't get shattered by any big moment by uh, Marlon Vera, I do think that we see Rob Font cruise his way to a 25-minute decision victory here. So in terms of props, obviously fight goes to decision at minus 150. I like that. Rob Font straight up at minus 135. I don't mind that either, but uh, I, I think the prop here to take would be Font by decision at plus 170. Sign me up for that. I think we'll see him go back and reverse his fortunes from the last fight. I think some people are kind of low on him because of that Jose Aldo performance, but I think he'll remind people why you know, he deserved a main event slot over his last two fights because he's a legit fighter and he's a great striker. And I think he'll showcase that here against Vera, who I just haven't been the highest on. Um, he has gained some respect for me over the last couple of fights, but I do think that we'll see Rob Font get his hand raised here, like I said, by decision and fight goes to decision. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I'd go the other way. Now, first and foremost, if this is a three-round fight, Font all day. Font's just going to jab his face off. He's going to stay to the outside. He's way faster. He's way sharper. Cheeto is a slow starter. <clears throat> but I've been quite literally salivating at the idea of Marlon Vera in a five-round fight for a long time. The dude loses the first round to pretty much everybody. He's lost the first round to Wuji Buren and Guido Canetti. He loses first rounds. But he's a little steam engine. He just keeps getting better, and he keeps progressing. And <clears throat> the longer the fights goes, he's picking it up. His striking is good. He's aggressive. He's in your face. He'll throw in combinations. He'll back you up. Cardio's on point. Durability's on point. Wrestling's pretty good. Defensive wrestling could definitely use some work, but I don't think Font's going to take advantage of it. His grappling's solid. <clears throat> There's a lot to like about him. I think Font's a lot more technically sound, but I wonder how the fight plays out the longer it goes. Again, when you look at Rob Font, it's like his weakness seems to be these Brazilian guys. They have Masalom. Uh, all four of his losses in the UFC are to Brazilian fighters and Again, maybe he's just not physically strong enough to get over the hump against them. It doesn't even matter. I mean, he's got one win against Marlon Marais, I suppose. We'll talk about the last two. So it's a career best performance against Cody Garbrandt. That's what puts him back on everybody's radar and everybody's map. Garbrandt, to me, is just not all that good. He's super chinny. He's small for the weight class despite being a former world champion. <clears throat> he's on a bad streak, and Font's got a long-ass reach over him. So he stays to the outside. He jabs his face off. He wins that. We'll talk about the Aldo fight. He's got the volume. He's got the output. He outstrikes Aldo, I believe, in every single round. The problem is, is that he doesn't have a whole lot of sting on the punches. So you can hit a guy two, three times, but if the guy's coming forward and backing you up and landing the more meaningful shots, they're going to win. Again, we talked about Andre Arlovsky. He's getting outstruck, but he's landing the more impactful blows. It's the same thing here. When Aldo's hitting him, he's hurting him. That ends up being the difference maker. It's Arche's body language. It's him getting clipped and falling to the floor. But look at these numbers, because again, numbers are very important. Him versus Jose Aldo. The very first round, he threw 90 significant strikes, landed 36 of them. Huge. The second round, he threw 89 significant strikes, landed 48 of them. Huge. The third round, he only throws 64. It's a sharp decline. He only lands 37. Still pretty good. Actually land, outlands himself from the first round, but it is, his numbers have fallen off considerably. Fourth round, he throws 20, he lands 10. The third round, he throws 42, lands 18. The fourth and fifth round, his output is, is falling off significantly. And Aldo's the one that's moving forward. And Aldo's the one that's landing the more impactful blows. And he wins. The longer the fight went, the guy that's aggressive, that's in his face, that's making it a fight, made it a fight, and won. And I think Vera's going to do that. The first round, yeah, fought. First two rounds could be fought. What I need, what I need is Cheeto to win one of the first three rounds. 
force this thing into four and five. I think he takes four and five. It's whether or not I'm going to lose a 48-47 because he drops the first three rounds or I'm going to win a 48-47 because he can secure one of them. So I think Vera's just going to keep coming after guys. Uh, in, in a five-round situation works good for him. And lastly, you look at, say, his last two fights. The first fight, uh, Davy Grant, right? He loses the first round with Davy Grant, which is not uncommon for him. The second round, he's backing Davy Grant up hard. He's aggressive. He's in his face. The third round, he's got Davy busted up. It's an excellent fight. Now the Frankie Edgar fight. First round, he gets taken down. Second round, he is backing Frankie up, putting pressure on. Does get taken down, works his way back up. The third round, dude, it's reckless abandon. He marches right through Frankie Edgar, puts a beating on him, and then front kicks him right up the middle and knocks him out. He was coming on strong. His cardio looked great. His striking looked good. His pace looked good. All this stuff looked good. Frontward pressure, aggression. We're fighting in a small apex octagon. How much is Arce or how much is Font going to be able to just stay to the outside and jab all night? Is going to be made of fight. And whereas Cody Garbrandt was getting rocked by everything left, right, and center, uh, I, I, I think that we've got a much more durable guy here, Marlon Vera, that is just going to take these punches and walk forward. Speaking of Cody Garbrandt and his inability to pick, take a punch, he went five rounds of Rob Font. The guy can't go a round with anybody else, but he took everything Rob Font threw at him. Important to note, because when the judges see Marlon Vera eat two shots and back font up and sting him with something, that's going to mean more. Could get outstruck two to one, but is going to land the better shot. So five-round fight, that's what it comes down to. I am going to go Marlon Vera. He is the underdog. Hook me up. And then uh, Marlon Vera, five-round decision plus 275. Font showed in the Aldo fight that he too can take a beating. So I'm not particularly worried about his durability. I'm not worried about Vera's durability. I think whoever wins, wins likely by decision. Because I'm back in Vera, I would take the plus 275 on him by decision. But you could also chase the, just the fight goes to distance at minus 155. But if you got 25 minutes, a striking battle, and two guys that are going to go after each other, that's a risky proposition at minus 155, right? So I, I think I'd rather just take the plus 275 much more, uh, you know, appetizing for me. And uh, and I am going to go with Marlon Vera. I think this is going to be the ultimate test to see if Cheeto Vera is actually that, like, guy that picks up a ton of steam later in fights because this will be his first, like, legitimate opponent that he's going to try to implement it against, right? Jose Aldo shut him down in that third round with that back control the entire time. But, like, Noah Helen Hernandez, he's beating in the second round. Andre Ewell, he's beating in round three. Loses a decision to Yudong Song. Say what you want about the decision. Still didn't do enough to get the judges nod that night. Yeah, Grant, Ed Frank Edgar, Rob Font is probably the best guy out of that crop that will test him later in those rounds, and we'll see if uh, Chito Vera can actually truly take over and get that dub. Uh, when you look at... Um... Sorry, when you look at Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera, right? So the first round, Jose Aldo looks vintage form, man. Like, he yeah. is clean. He's just ripping the body. Everything's on point. Darts out of the way. Like, head movement is just... He looks like a vintage version of himself. The second round, Vera beats him up. Vera backs him up. Vera puts the pressure on him. Vera makes him look tired, makes him look old. And this is going towards Marlon Vera. In the third round... For the first time in potentially his entire career, ever, <laughs> Jose Aldo goes right to the jiu-jitsu, takes his back, and just clings on to him to win the third round, and rightfully so win the fight. I had bet Jose Aldo that night. So happy he went with high ring IQ instead of slugging with this guy. But the fact that you've got Jose Aldo, after a phenomenal first round, backed up, looking tired, tagging him, and causes him to say, I need to take this fight to the ground and secure this victory. That's pressure, dude. Pressure is a bitch. Meanwhile, Font tried to pressure Aldo the same way. It's just when he got too close, he ended up getting caught with the big old counter, and, and, and those were damaging. 
you know, I, I like, I, I don't know. I thought so unbelievably talented. He could go out there and make it a, a picture perfect performance where he just snipes him from the outside. And I think a couple of people are high up on the comment section. I can't, I can't decline that, you know, pre pre fight when they first announce it, I'm thinking font too, way more technical. It's the five round nature of it. It's the fact that Vera, I've been wanting to see this for a long time. Cause I'm sold on the fact that he's just going to be able to continuously get better. So I got him pre fight underdog. I got him at decision at plus 275, which I think is a great price take. And beyond that, I think you can live bet him after the first round or two and still get live uh, plus money because I do expect Font to come out early. I'm just hoping Vera's going to make it a dogfight takeover late. And small uh, small octagon in the apex should be a little easier to make a dogfight. Perfect, perfect. All right, let's get to the three best prop bets, something that I love doing with my guy Cody here. Let me just share the screen. I will kick things off as I normally do. Uh, just a, a disclaimer. I don't feel that good about many props for this card. I feel like this is a very, very sketchy card for props, but I still try to dig up my three favorite for you guys. First of which is uh, Daniel De Silva and uh, Davis or Francisco Figueiredo. Could you imagine Daniel De Silva versus Davison Figueiredo? Uh, but, uh, De Silva versus Francisco Figueiredo. Fight to not go to decision. Fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 120. I do think that poor gas tank of De Silva will rear its ugly head if he can't get the finish himself early in this fight. And that should open up a finishing opportunity for Figueiredo, possibly via KO. But minus 120, sign me up. I'm seeing a couple places where it's plus money. I'd take that, obviously. Secondly, I'm going to go with Jared Gordon via decision at plus 225. Uh, uh, again, I think if he can survive the early onslaught here from Grant Dawson, he should be able to take over later in this fight, probably when the second and third round, maybe get a finish in that third round. So if you have access to one of those bookies that gives you round three slash decision, I would rather take that. And also maybe even a little sprinkle on the draw because we do know guys with bad gas tanks will give up round three pretty, pretty bad, just as Grant Dawson did in his last fight against Rick Glenn. So at plus 6,600, Take a little bit of nibble on that. And then lastly, I'm going to go with Andre Feely and Joanna Sombrito to go to decision at minus 140. I'm seeing minus 150 on certain spots as well. But I think the durability of Feely and the durability of Brito as well, actually, I should say, should allow this fight to go over the 15-minute the mark and us cashing that fight goes to decision at minus 140. Cody, you're up next, my brother. Uh, this is the first time in a long time I haven't seen you with anything with a plus 800 next I know. <laughs> There's <safe>. not many. <laughs> Playing it safe, as a lie. Christoph Jocko by decision, plus 185. Uh, again, Mearshart's not the kind of guy that loses decisions. Like He's a little more go for broke, but Jocko's just not much of a finisher. I think his uh, takedown defense would be good enough to neutralize Mearshart, keep the fight standing. He's a better striker. Cardio should hold up. Durability should hold up. Should be able to get this decision at plus 185. It's how he fights. It's how I think he's going to win this one. Don't mind it. I will say I wanted to take that Jodko via decision as well, but given it's just six props you guys are getting, I don't want to leech off of uh, uh, Cody and uses as well, but I definitely do like Jodko via decision. That's a great prop at plus 185. Well, I'm glad to hear you're on board. Moving on. I know you're not on board. We got line up by <laughs> knockout plus 200. Yeah, I'm not one to chase these knockout props. Like, I generally see fights going longer. I like the over one and a half. So I like a lot of the time fight goes the distance. I don't like betting inside of the knockout because, you know, you're training for so long. You spend eight weeks training for one guy with world-class fighters. You know, what are the chances you're going to get hit early? But Linus is one of these guys that has a lot of power. Gabe Green's a lot of the, one of these guys that gets hit a whole lot, right? Is it that easy? Probably not. Can you use the MMA math and say, well, Gabe Green's been knocked out a couple times in the first round and this and that. Yeah, yeah, it's all out the door when the cage went. It's all out the window when the cage door shuts. But I think Lioness is going to plant his feet, land a big hook, put him away. Plus 200 is a decent enough price tag. 
the inside the distance is only like plus 180. So I would rather, well, I mean, I think him by submission was plus 1400 and the inside the distance is plus 180. So I just took the knockout plus 200. I, I think he's got a good chance of catching Gabe Green and uh, we're going to go for it. And then getting back to my roots, I like my decisions. Vera plus 275. I know there's some dissent. I get it. You could look really foolish on this one because Font could come out and uh, paint a masterpiece. But I think Cheeto more often than not is going to get going. It's his first uh, headlining fight. This fight probably is going to set somebody up for near title contention. Whether or not Cheeto Vera is a top five talent, I don't know. But he's been a guy that's been around the UFC for eight years now. And he's just getting better and better. Font's a, a great fighter. He's 34 years old. What, is he going to get marginally better? Yeah, probably not. But he's a very solid fighter. Fair, I think he's 28. Every fight, because he's had some bad fights, every fight is a little bit better. He's always progressing. He's always getting better. He's always getting sharp. His striking's getting a little bit sharper. His wrestling's getting a little bit better. His, you know, just I think those improvements are eventually going to catch up, make him a contender to some level. Maybe not a champ, not a champion. Maybe not a, a title challenger. But I think eventually he will scratch the surface of the top five of the division. And I think a win over Rob Font will do exactly that for him. So. Highly motivated. Hopefully he puts it together on Saturday night. Now I can't tell you if it makes it that far, I will be hedging out because it's not like I'm going to look to fade font or disrespect him in the slightest bit, but you know, you got to take one side or the other and I'm going to go with the slight underdog. There you guys go. Three best prop bets for me and uh, Cody here again, not the greatest card for prop bets in my opinion, but we'll see how it plays out once we get these fights going on Saturday night. PFL is on right now. Don't know how anything's going at this moment in time, but make sure you guys tune in. Also, if you wanted Cody's PRP, I'm not sure if you're going to be tweeting it out, Cody, but if you guys want to go to the beginning of the podcast, he talked about the plays that he liked the most for the PFL card. So if you guys are looking for that, just hit that rewind, go to the beginning of the podcast, and he starts talking about it within the first five minutes. Cody, once again, appreciate you joining to do the prop show again. We're doing this thing full time now, though, uh, on a week to week basis, starting next week on the All Star. So make sure you guys go sign up and, uh, or sorry, subscribe over there. Show them some love and show them that uh, they made the right decision bringing us on full time. Anything you want to say on the back end here, my brother? And uh, then I'll sign us out. Cody? Did I lose Cody? Going once. Going twice. I must have lost Cody on his audio. But either way, I'm going to say uh, appreciate everybody checking out the stream. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out. And we'll see you guys next week over on the All-Star for UFC 273. Peace out and war. I'm going to go with Rob Font. I know my guy Cody's on uh, Vera, but I'm going to go Rob Font. All right, peace out. See you guys.